Good morning, Dave. Good How morning, are you Ed. today? Thank I'm, you for joining me, sir. I am delightful. Thank you for having me. Oh, man, it's uh, is I feel like it's been a long time in the works. It has. We um. I feel like first we should maybe briefly talk about how we met. Um, part of the part of the youth wrestling program initially. That's right. Yep. Um, we were helping out with that, and um, and uh, then also share mutual interest in in jujitsu. Mm-hmm. And you've become my chiropractor. Yep. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. And uh, we've we've had a lot of interesting conversations around wellness and and navigating the challenges of life and obviously you're an entrepreneur and um so glad to have you on the podcast and and have an interesting conversation today absolutely i've listened to a bunch of other conversations and uh i like what you're doing hell yeah thank you sir i hope i hope everybody likes it um so first off i think aren't aren't there like we'll start with a crazy question. Aren't there some people uh, still today that like don't believe in chiropractic? There are some, yeah, yeah. Um, less so, I would say, than when I first started practicing. But which was what year? About uh, got out of school in two thousand seven. Opened my doors in two thousand eight. Two thousand seven and two thousand eight. So this in the last uh, fourteen years, you say that the the validation or the um, the public um, trust in chiropractic has, has, there's been an uptick. I would say so. Most of the people that I see nowadays have been to chiropractors before, uh-huh. uh, where when I first started practicing, most of the people I would see had never been. Okay. And um, what the people who like historically haven't believed in <clears throat> it, like what's that all about? Uh, in There was an 80-year smear campaign that the AMA um, did and uh, basically not just trying to eliminate chiropractic, but any sort of alternative therapies. And this was started back in the 20s, which was 20-something years before antibiotics were even invented. Mm-hmm. And the medical doctors of the time were very um, sensitive to anything new, and they effectively kind of had a monopoly um, on healthcare in this country. So anything that would step into that realm they would try to call it practicing medicine without a license. They formed a committee on quackery. And even though chiropractic has been around since the late 1800s, they've, uh, and there's research, lots of research to show um, the benefits, the health effects that, you know, you're not trying to practice medicine, you're trying to practice chiropractic. Anyways, there was a guy, Morris Fishbean, in the AMA, and they were, um, he literally uh, wrote documents that they were, had a mission to contain, uh, isolate, and uh, eliminate the chiropractic profession. And so there was whistleblowers within the AMA that started leaking documents back in the 70s to a chiropractor named Chester Wilk. And um, anyways, he took it all the way to the Supreme Court, 1982, chiropractors won because they had research showing that chiropractic works for what it works for. And the AMA appealed it all the way up to 1996. So during that time, the AMA was still fighting and still trying to eliminate the profession. Mm -hmm. I was born in 82. That was when the, the, the chiropractors first won. And, um, so there was, there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of, 
um, issues, even back in the 50s, medical doctors and chiropractors couldn't even play tennis with each other because the medical doctor could lose his license for associating. (laughs) They could not take referrals from chiropractors. If I saw you broke your arm and I x-rayed you and saw it, I, I couldn't refer you directly to a orthopedic. You would have to go to a medical doctor, say that you went there on your own <clears throat> because they wouldn't take referrals. They could be professionally, uh, you know, uh, punished for accepting a referral from a chiropractor. So there was a lot of medical doctors that were bred to hate chiropractors. There was a lot of chiropractors, and rightfully so, pissed off and bred to hate medical doctors. I went to chiropractic school, and I had medical doctors teaching some of my classes. Um, a good friend of mine years back, um, he went to medical school, and he had chiropractors teaching in his med school. Mm-hmm. So it's really just one of those things of waiting for kind of like some of the stuff you see with, like, racism. Mm-hmm. It's just a bunch of people that need to finish getting old and die, and <laughs> those thoughts die with them. Right. You know, and then the new generation comes in and... Ultimately, I think that's what's been happening with chiropractic. And you have a whole generation of people that are now, if they're still alive, in their 90s and beyond, that blindly believe their doctors and that there's a drug for every problem. And just take this pill and you can live however you want. You can smoke, you can drink, you can party, you can eat garbage, you can not work out, and your doctor can save you. And most people realize that's not true anymore. And most of the baby boomers that are now, what, in their mid-60s into their 70s now, mm-hmm. they saw what happened to their parents, and they're waking up, and they know that drugs are not the answer, that lifestyle. <clears throat> and then these baby boomers have kids who are now in their 40s that are starting to see this. And those, you know, kids in their 40s, a lot of them have kids that are teenagers or in their 20s. Mm-hmm. So they're now three generations removed of watching what grandma and great grandma did that didn't work and great grandpa and so on. And so I think there's more and more people that are coming out uh, realizing that not wanting to go to doctors, you know, anything more for checkups there. People are going to gyms, people are health clubs and supplements and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's been a big societal uh, shift, which has contributed towards people being more open to not just what I do, but, acupuncturist, massage therapist, movement specialist, physical therapist, personal training, all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is it, is is what um man, that's interesting. That's a lot to take in. The is is there a like believed to be a happy medium or is it is it like one or the other like a zero sum game? Yeah. <clears throat> so I mean, uh, um from a business perspective, it's always a zero-sum game. If, it, if you're just looking at medicine dollars and cents, you're competing for a finite amount of dollars that people have that are going to allocate to spending money on their health. Either you're going to get them to spend money proactively um, and more natural ways or more reactively and more you know drug surgeries, things like that. So on a pure business perspective, I guess there is a – you know, you are competing for market share, but I don't believe that that is the win for, for everybody. There's a lot of stuff that I don't know and can't do. And quite frankly, don't want to do. There's people that are better at it. I can pull blood work, you know, matter of fact, I'm trained in phlebotomy as being a chiropractor. I can take blood 
Uh, we had to learn how to do pelvic exams on women and do pap smears and uh, prostate exams and all that kind of stuff. I know how to do that. I haven't done it since I was in school. You wouldn't want me to do it on you right now. No, no, not, <laughs> no, at, all. not at all. Not no. at all. Or ever. <clears throat> or not, ever. Not just Ex- not right Exactly. Now. Yeah. You know, so just because I know how to do these things, just like uh, most uh, DOs, like uh, there's MDs and DOs, like do- doctor of osteopathy, most of them, they le- they take a three-hour course in adjusting. Mm-hmm. Would you want someone like me who's given over 200,000 adjustments in my career or someone who probably did 50 or 60 before they graduated. You know, so most DOs aren't trying to step into the chiropractic realm. Most chiropractors aren't trying to step into the medical realm. And even even the term alternative medicine, which is what chiropractic, you know, by some definitions are considered complementary and alternative. But I don't even like that term because what am I really an alternative to? Mm-hmm. If you have a problem that and the, the fix is an adjustment, um, <clears throat> giving somebody a drug to cover it up, that's the alternative. The yeah. fix is adjusting it. You know, if somebody has a tight muscle needs to be stretched to make their back issues go away, you know, giving them a muscle relaxer, that's the alternative. The is real, it? The fix is stretching. Right, right. So you would say that, like, some some alternatives, if you were the MD who was opposed to chiropractic, would be, Perhaps something that deals with inflammation, maybe something that relaxes the muscle and allows things to settle and and sort of like adjust as nature takes its course. And then potentially as as issues accumulate over time, then then it leads to like breakdown and then there's surgeries like, I don't know, fusion or. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a, a, a friend that I was referencing before that was a medical doctor or is a medical doctor. You know, we would get in arguments sometimes because I'd be, you know, talking about, say, lowering uh, cholesterol, which cholesterol is not as big of a deal as it's made out to be. It's it's representative of a bigger deal, but it's not a big deal in itself. And uh, but when you're looking at numbers and lab work and you're measured in your success by lowering numbers, what's the easiest thing to do for a medical doctor? Is it easier to give you a pill to lower your cholesterol or is it easier to sit you down and explain, dive into your lifestyle and explain to you what it is that you're doing wrong and help you see that, uh, yeah, you can take this pill, but at the end of the day, it's only giving you um, a marginal increase in your health. And I'll give you a quick example on that, on how they spin statistics. So when you take a cholesterol pill, they'll tell you that this will lower your risk of a heart attack by 30%, mm-hmm. 33%. So that sounds good. They're like, well, yeah, that would make sense. I've, why wouldn't I take that? So what they don't explain to you is it's relative risk. And this is where marketing um, can spin. They use a marketing spin on medical stats. And they never explain this. They don't even explain this stuff to half the doctors. You mm-hmm. know, and a lot of them don't take the time to research because they've got so much other stuff going on. And I don't blame them. You know, there's only so much you can kind of keep up on. But this is just one example. So they took 100 people, looked at the relative risk of a heart attack in a given time frame. Without the drug, there was three heart attacks per 100 in that period of time. With the drug, there was two heart attacks per 100 in that period of time. So, yes, it's a it's a third less. Yeah. But when you look at that uh, measured against all the side effects um, that come with uh, statins, uh, cholesterol-lowering drugs, messing up hormones and 
increasing the risk of actually a different type of heart attack. It reduces the risk of one type of heart attack, uh, increases the risk of another type of heart attack, increases your risk of diabetes, which diabetes eventually turns into a vascular disease, which will cause heart disease, but a different type. So if you look at it with all of that, it doesn't sound that appetizing, but no one's told that story. And so there's a lot of stuff in medicine where you're taking a drug, like even uh, diabetes medication, does very little to reduce end stage, getting toes cut off, uh, going blind, you know, neuropathy, all that kind of stuff. If you still eat a crappy diet and then take the medicine, your labs look better, but you're only getting a marginal change in the end stage uh, effects of diabetes. Yeah, like to really move the dial stuff, like keeping yeah. all 10 toes. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so, but that's, that's not what our system has marketed itself, our, our medical system, our healthcare system, sick care system has marketed itself to people as able to eat what you want, do what you want, have it your way and take a thing to cover it up. And I think, you know, uh, not just think, but it seems that societally we are moving in a direction where people seem to at the very least understand it. Yeah. You know, not everybody knows what to do or is willing to do what it takes, you know, and I know recently you've made a lot of changes and moving right. the dial for you and it wasn't, uh, there wasn't, you know, a bunch of pills that did it. It was you changing your, your habits. Why well, I just didn't tell you about the pills. Well, the pills, well, those can be fun, <laughs> you know. No, I, yeah, it was, it was interesting because, uh, you know, when I tell people about it, it's like, I feel like I just did everything like 15, 20% better. And, you know, we'll go off on that for a second. But, um, like, I had some initial big gains. Like, when I say everything 15% better, like, I slept, made an effort to sleep better um, instead of getting, like, four or five hours of sleep a night, trying to get more like six, seven, eight hours of sleep a night, which the 15%, forgive me, it probably doesn't work out exactly. <laughs> I'm aware, but... Working out more, um, eating better, but not when I say like a lower percentage that like my thought is there's been times in the past where I tried to do like a like a light switch, go from eating like shit, drinking beer, whatever, to just like comp like all in on healthier, like teetotaler, you know, whatever, things like that. And it was obviously you know, everyone talks about the yo-yo stuff and, and it not being sustainable for the long term and um, things of that nature. So that was the idea of making like a gradual shift and then consistency over time and like super good results, like 50 pounds over a five, six month period lost. And so that obviously exciting. And then I think what in reflection, uh, got a little comfortable and a little overconfident and so probably took back on like a f uh probably like eight eight to ten of those pounds and like obviously there's there's other contributing factors like traveling a lot and and eating saltier foods on on planes and things like that perhaps to like holding on to more water mm -hmm. and and to um Maybe having like some minor injuries and, and to sure. the extent that that, like maybe you can elaborate that on that. But uh, 
just like different things that have changed and and I don't feel like there's been a real like normal sort of baseline period over the last month or so so yeah like let's say took back on eight to ten pounds so now I'm telling myself like all right buddy time to buckle back down and and it's kind of like twofold like perhaps losing the initial is that was that was easy right just had to sort of like make a change and and different activity and then that happened and then now like the the next 50 or the next whatever is is going to be harder than the first 50 right as you get into um different territory um forget what the other fold of that what the twofold thing was but yeah it's it's been exciting but um yeah like you said just just i feel like the consistency has been the the most important thing it's been interesting to see as i've like taking that approach, um, how it, it hasn't been that hard. I think that's something that I, I told you. Now, now I'm like walking with that back a little bit since I've I've pulled back sure. on a couple of those pounds, like recalibrating my understanding of of what exactly I need to do to continue on the decline. But I think it's it's fairly straightforward. You know? If you can lose fifty and put back on eight to ten, and then lose more and put back on four to five and lose more and put back on two to three. And yeah, you know, the, the people that I see that have gone do the whole one eighty, mm-hmm. um, the only people in, I mean, and I've seen thousands of people in the last, you know, 14, 15 years. And then even before that and chiropractic school, and I've always been into this kind of stuff um, health wise and the people that I've seen that can go a, a full one eighty are a true type A. Mm-hmm. Everyone tries to say they're type A, they're not. You know, we're talking one to two percent of the population are a true type A. Those people can't stand to be doing something wrong. And the second they find it out, once they know it, it is an instant one eighty and they never go back. Oh, you say when you're <clears> saying one eighty, you're saying like the light switch. The like light switch. Eating like crap. Yep totally down a path and then just in an instant shift paths and just go the uh, other. That's hard. Yeah. And part of what I do is trying to know who it is that I'm talking to. Cause I, but if they were, sorry to interrupt the, if they were being type a like that, like how did they go so far down the path? You're talking about like people who are 300, 350 or whatever pounds. And then they all of a sudden came to the conclusion, Oh, I'm completely botching this. I need to go the other way. Most type A's, I've never seen one that extreme because usually they're so, you know, rigid in a lot of ways. But I've seen people with considerable amounts of, uh, let's just say, extra weight or poor Mm. lifestyle habits. Sometimes the, the biggest part of my job is not telling people what to do, but helping people figure out what to do. Because if it's my idea and my advice, people are doing it to please me. You know, and I, and there's a lot of doctors, they do that, you know, like people come in and apologize to me, like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I, I put back on, I don't care, you know, truly. Yeah. Whether you put on 10 pounds, lose 10 pounds, when I leave, I go home, I go to sleep, and I feel good about myself, yeah. you know, like, um, but people have this thing, like, they think they're embarrassed to see their doctor, you know, you give a cavity, or you, you know, people are embarrassed to go see the dentist. Yeah, I get what you're saying, like... Yeah. It's not about me. Yeah. It's yeah, about yeah. you. I'll be yeah. like, hey, doc, like, I did pretty good on these seven areas, but these other three, like, could have done better. And he's like, 
Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> pe- yeah. People, uh, you know, and there's doctors that they used to teach this and there's a lot of doctors that still do the authoritarian, you know, parent, uh, yeah. thing where it's shame and embarrassment and whatever. And short term, you can scare somebody into doing things. I talk about, you know, you got to have the, you got to have the, rea- the, the view of the boogeyman chasing you. If I don't, you know, uh, like Chris, our buddy Chris, mm-hmm. you know, he saw himself dying a young man, you know, with how much uh, weight he was carrying and his health habits and all that kind of stuff. Like he literally had a vision in his mind of his mother crying, burying him, you know. Wow. And that was a boogeyman for him. Yeah. You know, that was something to keep him going when he didn't feel like it. Yeah. You know, but that only keeps you going for so long because you get far enough ahead of the boogeyman, you stop sprinting. That's and then fair. He starts. That's that's like where I right. momentarily. Yeah. yeah. And, and I and too, it was kind of an experiment, like how, how like how many. Um, I don't know when I go on business trips, how many nice meals can I go to, and how many beers can I have right. in, in a month without it being like, well, like let's say uh, continuing like a stable at the loss or, or am I putting back on or am I still on, let's say a decline, but a slower yeah. decline. Yeah. It's interesting. I like yeah. that relation of the boogeyman. Once you get far enough in front, then yeah. stop running as fast. But if you had, if there was, if you kept running and there was a billion dollars that you were racing people for, you know, well, you wouldn't care about the boogeyman. You'd forget about it. You'd be running towards that billion dollars so fast that, the thoughts of something chasing you would be erased by the excitement of chasing what it is you're after. And most people don't have sufficient motivation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Most people would do much more if they truly understood what they would get. You yeah. Know, I've seen 87 year old guys out surfing in San Diego. I've been in the water next to guys like that. Yeah. I've done triathlons where a 96 year old woman crossed the finish line, an Olympic distance triathlon. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people, that have taken really good care of themselves and um, got to live a life very different than most people get to. And your physical health is everything, you know. <laughs> Man, that is such an impactful statement. And I, I think about that a lot. What, one thing, going back to the uh, the billion dollars and, and, and what you said is, like, most people aren't willing to do it. I heard somebody say online that, like uh, – most people don't feel like they're worthy of the goal or whatever, the, the result. Like, where do you feel like that plays in? That's a huge one. Um, everybody gets what they feel they deserve. Mm-hmm. If you, nobody, if, if you, you know, you, you have a nice life, you have family, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, you're a well-adjusted guy. If something happened and you somehow were living on the streets. How how many nights do you think you'd honestly be living on the streets before you figured something out and got yourself right back to where you are? Yeah, I like to think I uh, I think I do think about that a fair bit. And there's there's guys like if you ever heard Gary V, he's yeah. like maybe one of the best things that could happen is him to lose everything, and he feels like in a heartbeat he could just like go yeah. back because and you get what you feel you deserve mm-hmm. in life. You know, like there's the, I did a lot of business coaching years ago and a lot of headspace stuff. And, um, you know, I said, everybody has a, um, uh, thermostat in their life and that thermostat 
you know, it doesn't keep your house at 70 degrees. It kicks on when it hits 69 and it kicks off when it hits 71. Mm-hmm. So it's constantly in this flux of little too high, little too low, little too high, little too low. Your weight, if you had hit, let's just say 500 pounds, that would have been way over your thermostat because you've never been there. If you got too light, you know, and you were, you know, if you got too light and you were say 130 pounds, you'd be like, all right, I look emaciated. Yeah. You know, so or I don't a, feel well. Right. I don't have the, energy. There's a range of where you believe you are and your body sets that way. Same thing with your finances. Most people have a certain amount of money that they have to have in the bank that if it gets too low, they'll do whatever it takes to bring it back up. If it gets too high and there is a too high, they'll spend it. Yeah. They'll find something to do. They'll find something to buy or they'll find some way to sabotage their success so they don't make more than they're comfortable having. Yeah. And that's true with income. That's true with savings. It's true with relationships. Everybody gets the type of job you have, you know, so when it comes to health, the problem I see is, is, uh, it's not just telling someone to eat healthy. It's having to try and understand why they're not, yeah. you know, cause most people aren't stupid. They know what they know, like, okay, well I eat a McDonald's every day. Well, you know that that's probably going to kill you and you're going to yeah. die young and miserable. You know, statistically speaking. And this short-term mouth pleasure, like, yeah. fucking... Yeah. Yeah. It and it's not a surprise. Yeah. You know, it's no surprise. I mean, I had a guy, he smoked uh, pipes his whole life. He got cancer at 64, and he's like, well, I knew better. Yeah. And he died a month later, you know? And, uh, I mean, it was it was sad, you know? But he was he wasn't sitting there trying to, you know, pretend that he didn't know why. Right. You know, he accepted it and, you know, he was a nice man. He was one of, you know, first year or so in practice, uh, first patient that, you know, I was the one that figured out something was wrong and referred him out and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but, uh, but anyways, you know, the, the point of it is, is people get what they deserve. Yeah. And it's what they believe they deserve. Do you think they can change that? What yeah. they believe oh, yeah. they deserve? Yeah. Cause that's the only way you'll ever earn more money. That's the only way you've, decided to change your health so you believe that you deserve more yeah you know but i believe that all along it was just i was like obsessed with another pursuit you know being like crazy um workaholic-y so the question would be and i'll i'll pick on you for a second is it possible that somebody out of seven point what four billion people 7.5 in the the planet right Uh okay is it possible that there's somebody else out there doing exactly what you did but ate better and and you know took care of themselves better 100 percent, right yeah so why wouldn't you yeah if if you knew that it was possible because you know that right yeah but you don't and you know and we all do this you know i do it too you know, there's reasons why I'm not even healthier than I am now or more financially successful than I am now or lifestyle or, you know, travel, whatever. It, yeah. All of it is based on uh, your comfort zone and your comfort zone keeps you trapped. So this one coach with me, this was years ago when, you know, I had just started my business. I had no money and I literally was just bottoming out every month. And he's like, you need to set your thermostat higher. Mm -hmm. And so literally every month starting out, you know, my business checking would go down to basically nothing, Mm -hmm. sometimes below. And I'd be like, all right, well, I guess I don't pay myself for another week. 
And, uh, and it was my own headspace that was doing this. And he's like, why not? Like, what do you need? You know? And he's like, okay, well, why don't we make it a goal of a thousand dollars? You know? So at the end of the month, after everything's done, you got to have a thousand sitting in there. Mm -hmm. And then I brought that up to 5,000 and so on and so forth. And to the point where I got it to a place where it was truly a rational number, not just like, you know, scraping the bottom every single month. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the only thing that changed, my income didn't really change that much. It was just my habits, you know, around spending that money and cash flow and, you know, being smarter. But a lot of it, you say, you just have to, it has to become uncomfortable for you. Yeah. You know, so it, so if you continue to raise the bar where, you know, whether, you know, we were, you know, you, you talk about, uh, like weight and numbers and things like that. And generally speaking, I try to steer people away from that anyways, you right. know, because it's, there's a point where the numbers, yeah, at first it means something, but as you start getting closer and closer to your ideal body weight, the numbers mean less and your function. And so I try to get people focused away from, uh, numbers so much and more into habits because habits create results, yeah. you know, and if you change a habit, you know, whether it's health wise, finance wise, sleep, hab you know, any of it, um, even just habits of doing stuff with your kids, you know, like once it's a habit, the results are guaranteed. Right. You know, like I agree with that. You know the, what I'm saying? And I think that whether it's um, sort of doing like a reset with yourself or if you were coaching someone like the positive reinforcement to your point earlier is is really key. And I guess to the point you are coaching someone like encouraging them to look at the positive reinforcement because like I try I try to think about that with myself. I try to do it with my kids. I try to uh, do it with people I'm mentoring or coaching is like, okay, so we tried this and and this was the result and we're pleased with the result. So think about how we can like now we have a tool. Think about how we can apply that in other areas we want to pursue. And and so I think I think that's that's interesting. To what to what extent you were you like lightly touched on it earlier, but let's say the uh, education of being a doctor um, is is there some psychology in it it's to like okay here's some of the situations that that uh, almost everyone encounters and and here's some of the the coaching or whatever or do you feel like that comes from mentors once you begin practicing or experience. Yeah. So we get a little bit of it in school, you know, um, they touch on a lot of stuff. Um, but, uh, most of it I think really comes with experience and I don't even think so much. Um, I think experience is only as good as you pay attention to what's happening around you. If you're just ex going through life and, but not focusing on things or not looking to see things better. I spent a lot of money, probably, well, not probably, more than I spent on my chiropractic education on uh, mentorship opportunities. I had mentors that were just mentors, you know, where it was just a free, you know, like it was just something they liked doing it because they were giving back. I liked it because I was learning mm -hmm. and it was, uh, you know, it was a good thing. And someday, you know, I mean, not someday, I mean, I have passed some of that on already, but as I get older, um, I'd like to spend more time doing that you know, make sure that the next generation chiropractors or whatever are, you know, have the support that I got early on. But I spent more than I spent on my chiropractic education uh, learning how to 
read people, learning how to communicate better, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, being able to get inside people's heads and figure out, get inside their heads and figure out how to uh, make them do what it was that I wanted them to do for themselves, you know, and plant a seed in there. Mm-hmm. If I can plant a seed, it's going to grow, you know, and a lot of it is just, you know, people have to believe that uh, they can be more, do more and have more. But I, well, that was where I was going with the positive reinforcement is I think that as you, as let's say you make a suggestion on a tweak and then they do it and then definitely like have that reset and say, okay, well, this is what came from that. And, yeah. and think about if we, you know, tick it up by 10% or if we make this uh, additional tweak, then, you know, we're going to continue to experience more results that, that make us happy. And, and like, yeah. 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 People, uh, you, you gotta, you gotta kind of, um, I don't know, get inside people's head, earn their trust, you Mm -hmm. know, and fortunately doing what I do, you know, there is a, um, I mean, I don't care what people call me. People call me Dave, Dr. Russ, Dr. Dave, you know, whatever. Jerk. Um, but there's a certain level of respect, a jerk, you know, (laughs) I get told all sorts of things, um, but uh, there's a certain level of societal respect because I have a diploma, a piece of paper on the wall, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's it's kind of one of those things where I wish it wasn't so, but it is, and people will oftentimes take my suggestions or at least humor me when I try to help them, mm-hmm. you know. And if I figure out the right way, the right suggestion, someone to try, uh, try something, um, then if I help them with one thing, then they look at it as a, you know, okay, well, sounds like he knows something. Mm-hmm. I had a guy came in, he hurt his back. The guy was uh, old school, like um, grew up on a farm, bailing hay. The guy was just like country strong mm-hmm. and he was overweight um, had all sorts of health issues, had been diabetic since he was 30, was on, you know, uh, testosterone since he was in his 20s, like just really kind of ruined his health. And he had had a, a, some stressful situations in his life, lost a child, um, <clears throat> ended up switching careers, and he was a, uh, worked um, in like uh, organ uh, donation stuff like, uh, hospitals to, I guess that's what they did with their child when, when I don't even know, I don't remember how the child passed, but they donated his organs and got to meet the other kids that, you know, now had his, you know, son who had passed away. And, you know, so I guess he felt pretty passionate about that and did mm-hmm. that for a number of years, but his job was on call 24 seven for the whole state hospital in Wilmington gets a liver that needs to go to Asheville three in the morning, he gets a phone call, gets up, you know, and he accompanies, you know, that organ or he goes out and is like, okay, this liver is ready. And I got to go out and try to convince this family that there's a boy back in Wilmington that needs this liver to Mm -hmm. talk with them. And, um, but anyways, this guy from that lifestyle just was destroying his health, came in because he hurt his back. And when I went through all his paperwork, I was like, man, is there 
you're taking like eight different drugs. You're 35, six years old, whatever. And at that point I'm in my late twenties and I'm sure this guy's looking at me like, what the hell does he know? You know? So he's, uh, you know, and he didn't, he told me this, he didn't really trust, you know, that, but I asked him a question. I was like, listen, I said, if we can get you feeling better, you know, getting off all these medications and getting healthy, is that something you'd be interested in? And he's like, yeah, if you can get me feeling better, sure. Maybe we'll talk about it. And so long story short, you know, a couple of weeks later, whatever he hurt himself with. And I said, all right, you ready to start talking about some of that stuff? So we did. And, uh, the guy no longer diabetic, um, turns out, uh, we got him going to like a sleep study and whatnot. And turns out he had, they thought he had narcolepsy. He didn't have narcolepsy. He had sleep apnea severe, Mm -hmm. which was causing his hormone issues, which was causing his diabetes and all this kind of stuff. Fixed that, got him a CPAP and not me, but they did. And, uh, all that stuff went away. Hmm. He got, he was taking Ritalin, not because he had ADD, but to take it as an amphetamine to wake him up. Yeah, for the daytime sleepiness. Yeah, for the daytime sleepiness. And so he was going down that whole rabbit hole. And my question is, that guy, what would another 20, 30 years of living that way had done had not only him and I not met, not that I'm some hero, this guy did his thing. There's more people that haven't listened to me that have. But this guy, you know, he was like my biggest advocate. You know, he loved me and I loved him for, for doing something with it. You know, it, was, it felt good to know that it made that difference, and he started changing things with his family. His wife started getting on board. There are other two kids, and, you know, I and I look and I think about people like that where I'm like, okay, those people, I made a difference. Those kids are going to grow up different. Those kids are going to raise their kids someday different simply because they met me and I helped this guy uh, alter his path. He mm-hmm. had to go – he had to do the walking and the work, but I – I was able to get inside of his head and turn a switch and all of it became his own idea. Yeah. You know? That's gotta be super rewarding. And it's fun. That's, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, is, uh, enjoyable. And at this point, this far in, who knows how many generations of people's lives that I've, you know, made better by existing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's a, a nice thing. And I'm, you know, I don't get through to everybody. I probably don't through, get through to most, but somewhere along the line, if I'm making a positive impact, you know, I think it'll, um, you know, I just like to know that I'm contributing to getting people to take charge of their own health and realize that you don't need to constantly be taking drugs, going to doctors. There's times and places for all that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I've been to the hospital, I've had morphine. I've had a spider bite that shut down my pancreas. I mean, I've, you know, I'll go when I need to go. I'll do what I need to do. And if I'm in pain, yes, give me pain pills. If I need surgery, give me surgery. If I'm, I I took IV antibiotics. I had a staph infection in my arm one time and, uh, you know, would have been in the old days. I would have just died or they would have amputated my arm and then I probably would have still died. Right. You know, so very grateful. Or lost your livelihood if you lost one of your arms. Right. Potentially. Right. Yeah. So very grateful for emergency and reactive medicine when it's necessary. But uh, most people, they've ruined their life with habits and then they get to an event and they look to medicine to fix the habits consequences of the habits you know when what really needs to be done is clean up the mess you need to medically speaking but the habits are what need to change and that's what 
our system lacks. You know, despite we outspend the next six countries uh, total in healthcare. Yeah. Here, we outspend the next six combined. And, yeah. and we are ranked 37 in world health. Man. All the money in the world, richest country in the world. And uh, I think we still are. Um, and we have ranked 37. Name 37 countries that you think would have a better healthcare system than ours without throwing in, like, you're going to start naming third world countries. Yeah. There's not that many. There's only yeah, so many first world many. countries to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But a lot of those third world, are they're higher on the list than we do. They live longer yeah. and they have better health. And haven't been to a lot of those. So yeah, I, you, that, you that would makes know. makes sense. Yeah. But I think they, uh, hmm. What are you, uh, but they also have like a um, earlier death rate too in a lot of those. Don't we either have, I think we're maybe top five or ten, aren't we? No, I don't remember where we are on uh, uh, life expectancy, but we're definitely not in the top 10. Really? Yeah. We're not, not even in the way. top. We are number 17 for infants making it to their first birthday. Oh. 17. Wow. So there's 16 countries that have a better probability yeah. that an infant will make it to their first birthday. Yep. Huh. And uh, we're not doing too good for all the money we spend. And I think part of it, if you go to, you know, I don't know. You played rugby. Mm -hmm. If you lived in, uh, I don't know, rural China, do you think you'd be playing rugby? Knowing no. Knowing that you could tear ligaments, destroy bones, you have no access to doctors. You've never seen a doctor in your life because you're so poor and you live out in the middle of freaking nowhere. You're in Mongolia. You know, you're in freaking Iraq somewhere. Like, these people, there's parts of Fiji, there's parts of Fiji. I mean, Madagascar, like all these different countries in, in Africa, these people will never see a Western trained doctor in their life. Do you think they'll take the same risks that you and I might take? No. Knowing that in every city, there's dozens of orthopedic surgeons, there's brain, you know, like you're going to live your life a little differently. And if you get diabetes, you just go blind and die. Right. You know, like. If you don't take care of yourself, you actually have real consequences. But a lot of times they do smoke and drink. And they do. You think that's just because it's like the cultural norm? So in some places, yeah. Like the smoking, the drinking. But even still, even in places like that, smokers in the U.S. have higher rates of lung cancer than smokers in Europe. Because they are allowed to put things in cigarettes here than you can't put in cigarettes in Europe and different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So you get more lung cancer, smoking, cigarettes, even from the same companies that are made here. You go to Europe and you get Kraft macaroni and cheese. They use turmeric to make it yellow. Here, they use yellow food dye. Yeah, you can look yeah. this stuff up. I mean, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Red dye 40 is banned in a lot of countries. Brominated vegetable oil, which keeps the color from settling in Mountain Dew, can be used in Mountain Dew in the United States, but it's a carcinogen. You go to other countries and it's, it's banned. It's not allowed to be used for food. Caramel wow. coloring is a carcinogen. That's what makes Coke brown. Uh -huh. Has nothing to do with the flavor. You go to different countries and that's banned. You know, there's stuff that we allow here. And I think a lot of it is just, you think you have enough money to offset the problems. You can buy your way out yeah. of, you know, relationships, uh, spouse, kids, you know, you can buy your health back once your health goes to shit. Mm -hmm. And 
You can't. And that's what we've been finding out. That's what the statistics uh, show. The further you live from the way you're supposed to, you know, if you look at countries, you know, you go to um, countries that are um, lower socioeconomic, like you go to, uh, say, Mexico, for example. Mm -hmm. You walk around Mexico, and unfortunately, westernization has really happened just about everywhere. But if you go to more rural areas, people are generally fit. And if they're overweight, it's not morbid obesity, you know, because they can't, because they have to work. They have to walk. They have to get around. And if they allow themselves to become a burden, there's no health insurance. They're just making their family pay for their stuff. Right. You know, and most people don't want to do that. But here you can destroy yourself and you can get long-term care insurance for your nursing home. You get Medicare, you get Medicaid, you, you know, there's all these programs to pick people up once things have gotten so bad and it's not, you're not living, I would say. Yeah. You're not, it's also, you're not going like, there's nowhere. If you were in having a diabetic emergency, you show up at the hospital, you're going to get treated. You don't even need to show an ID. You show up and you get treated. Uh huh. You go to countries that don't have, I mean, I know there's, you know, socialized medicine and all that in different countries, which are, you know, different, I guess, uh, topic of that. But let's say you go to a place that doesn't have something like that. You show up at the doctor and they're like, you need to pay me. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I don't have any money. Yeah. All, yeah. All right. Yeah. I actually had uh, to go to the hospital in, in uh, Philippines and, and before we took care of that, before we did anything oh, else. Yeah. 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 Whereas here it's either after or, or yeah. whatever. And there's, you know, as a person in the medical profession, I can say like as much as it's nice to say like, okay, we treat everybody no matter what, no problem, mm-hmm. but who's paying for it? You yeah. know, and the doctors a lot of times are, you know, getting screwed on some of these things, especially, you know, I think it's ridiculous like that it costs three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 for a, a bypass in the heart. I can tell you what would happen if I needed a bypass surgery and I needed four hundred grand to uh, get that surgery. I would just die the old yeah. fashioned way. You I was going to say, like rev up the motorcycle. And <laughs> right, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or... Or I would look at what we've known. There's a a fasting clinic in Russia Uh that's been in existence for over 200 years. And they have, I mean, files upon files of inoperable people that couldn't afford whatever go out and fast for 20, 30 days and have blockages in their heart um, get dissolved because yeah. the body can digest that stuff if you do certain things. Yeah. And I'm not saying everybody needs to go fast for, a, uh, instead of getting uh, a bypass surgery, but there's stuff out there you can do. There's people that are inoperable or too old. And I've read stuff like this and I've seen documentaries where they go over all this. So if you didn't have an insurance company ready to cough up 350 to the hospital because the doctor doesn't get most of that. Right. It's the hospital and business people behind all of it. Um, you know, if you limited people's options, um, in a sense, I think people would be more creative and more open to spending wisely as opposed to just, uh, you know, well, whatever I got insurance or investing wisely, like in, yeah. the, in the sense of investing in their own health, yes. like exercise, yeah. diet and all these things. The, uh, you've seen the documentary Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead? 
Yes. Well, well, I, while back, I've yeah. heard that some of that's bullshit. I don't know to what extent, but um, that is what you were making me think of with the fasting. Like, the man, it's super compelling, all the yeah. stories of people on all these maintenance medications that once they clean up the diet and and stopped eating like the McDonald's and yeah. the overly processed foods and whatever and went to most, well, I think in all those senses it was juicing and it was vegetables and fruits, but um, like uh, in every case in that documentary, and again, I don't know if it's legit most or not. Of, but there's a lot of bullshit in those. And from a clinical perspective, mm-hmm. most of them are vegan propaganda, mm-hmm. you know, they're, and there is, you know, like I've, studied literature i've studied um you know like just some of the stuff into like uh anthropology paleontology stuff like that and, and how it all it, ties together studied it in the sense too of like you're doing your own trials like, with fasting and diets right, and whatever with my too, own health right? yeah and i pulled my blood before and after doing stuff uh-huh. you know um i have and anybody can do that you can pull your own blood anytime you go mm-hmm. to directlabs.com or other websites you know you don't need a doctor to read every freaking lab. Some of it is like, okay, well, my vitamin D was here and I took more and now it's here. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, good. You know what? You don't need to go pay somebody for that. It's cost the tip. Blood test costs you $49. You know, like there's a lot of very simple things that you could do just to check in. You could look at a lipid panel. You could look at your fasting blood sugar, you know, just all these things. But um, uh, I got a little derailed there. What was the? Um, uh, the fat sick and nearly dead. Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah, yeah. So the uh, the the research behind all of that stuff just isn't really there. If you follow uh, every Paleolithic hunter gatherer culture that is that we have ever known about or currently exists, they all get on average sixty four percent of their caloric intake from animal calories mm-hmm. combination of fats and proteins and the rest of it is vegetation mm-hmm. very little grains that's it yeah that's th- the average i think what i took from that one was that um maybe exactly what they were doing you know uh worked or didn't work or whatever but the fact that like if you take a a, a pivot and like a certain approach it can have this dramatic effect which I think it's the good take home. Absolutely. Just like you were saying about fasting. Right, right. I just think that's that was like really eye opening and then like gave me a whole sort of different parallel to to sort of explore and and think about and and research from time to time. The way that those sort of things and and two, like to that point, um, with the weight loss, like all the different things in terms of well, if I sleep better, then it's going to help me lose weight. And if I lose weight, I'm going to sleep better. And, and you yeah. know, just all the, the collateral impacts of that is, is really interesting. The, the, the thing that drives me crazy, and it's something that I've seen more clearly as years have gone by, just doing what I do. And, you know, in, in, in your own industry, you probably see this. Everything is much simpler than you made it out to be 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, do you feel that way at all? hundred like percent. And there's, there's a recent thing that's it's been on Instagram. It's a quote from a movie, which I actually didn't know that it was a quote from a movie, but I, I rewatched a movie on a plane I took the other day. The guy said, um, he was asked in an interview, what's the biggest lie you were ever told? And he said, it's not that simple. And she said, what's not that simple? 
And he said, he said, no, that's the biggest lie. And, and I just love that. And, and she was like, like okay, that. well, what's the truth? And he said that it is. That simple. It is that simple. And you, you put in the work and, and you keep believing in yourself and you do these things. And, and these, it will, you will get what you want. Yeah. And, man, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I like that there, that it's not that simple. Mm -hmm. The way he gave that answer, that's cool. But, yeah, health is not that hard. When You you guys have a pile of plants sitting out there on your porch. Mm -hmm. How hard is it to keep them alive? Yeah, like 0% difficult. (laughs) They need sun. Yeah. They need dirt. Yeah. They need nutrients in the dirt. And they need water. Yeah. That's it. And you just leave them out in the rain and they get the water. And they do their thing. Yeah. You know, and our bodies are no more complex than that. Mm -hmm. We just make it so. Yeah. We make it so. And the reason why we make it so is because humans, our entire existence is trying to cheat. How can I get this without doing what I need to get it? Yeah. Yeah. How can I make money without doing any work? Everybody likes that idea. How can I be healthy without? They're freaking, they're researching a freaking pill that they say can uh, give you the same effects of exercising. Uh, Literally, they're wild. doing this right now. There's trials. Yeah. Giving people like, you know, like some of the benefits in terms Sounds of. Sounds like, like an amphetamine. Right. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> you know, but I mean, it's a, a pill that gives the end effect, not like, not like it works you up yeah. and makes you your heart race, but it actually, th- some of the end components of exercise, the different hormone changes, whatever, but they're trying to replicate that with a, uh, with a pill. I met with a chiropractor years ago. He was, um, at a conference and he said that he had, uh, he, he made, he, he invested in a lot of different companies and business, very wealthy. And he was sat at tables with a lot of very wealthy people, like CEOs of pharmaceutical companies, stuff like that. And one of them started really asking him about uh, chiropractic and how it worked. Mm-hmm. He's like, "What do you like? Like, what do you mean how it works? Like, you know?" And he's like, "No, like the physiology." So he's explaining all the the neurology, the physiology, all these different neurotransmitters that are affected when you adjust somebody and whatever. And he's like, "Man," he said, "We have been trying to figure out a way." to produce a drug that creates the same physiologic effect that you get when you adjust somebody. Mm. Okay. Elaborate. They're trying, they're, there's, they're literally trying to figure out a way, you know, if you could take a pill in theory that did, that got the exact benefits that you got from being adjusted. Yeah. It would certainly be cheaper. But aren't many of those effects like mechanical Yes, they are. Maybe that's like a very crude way to put it. Yeah, so chiropractic appears mechanical, but it's more neurological and biochemical in terms of how it actually affects you. But there is a mechanical force, right, with with an adjustment. Well, I was thinking like, I guess my crude understanding is is if something's out of place, then then it's impacting something else, which I was thinking is sort of the secondary, like the next layer down is if something's out of place and it's pushing on something and then – blah, 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 maybe that's, like, impacting a nerve or impacting the way, well, and then and then from there, like, the nerve being affected is impacting the way an organ works. Am I... Yeah, you're not far off. In the neighborhood? Yeah, you're in the neighborhood. Yeah. That's, like, the, you know, of a, of a 20-story building, that's, you're up on the third floor. 
You know, oh, geez. like, yeah, it gets incredibly complex all the way to the point of, um, you know, on the highest floors, you're talking about, you know, uh, quantum mechanics. And mm-hmm. Do you know that, well, let's go back to the plants. If you take a plant or if you take a seed and put it in a pot and uh, measure the weight of that seed, you measure the weight of the dirt in the pot, you put it in a closed system, and you measure all the water that ever goes through there, and you let that plant grow for two years. Um, True or false, the dirt and the water weigh exactly the same as when the plant started growing. (laughs) You mean the dirt and water that are there now? Stay exactly the same or not. So uh, when the plant is two years old, you now have a plant. You shake it off. You put in a dehydrator. You dehydrate all the water back. So uh-huh. you've collected all the water you ever added to that system, and you collected all the dirt and all the nutrients in that dirt, and you weigh them all at the end. Is, <clears throat> is there more um, mass with the plant having grown? I would think no. And that's what you would think, right? Yeah. So where did that mass come from? Uh, the plant mass. I mean, it, I, I'm just assuming there's some waste. So, if like, if, let's say we add. Well, if it's a closed system, so we got a terrarium, like those little. Those oh. Little, right. It's a um, little biodome. I'm guessing the answer is the, the, the way the same. Like the the output at the end is the same as the sum of all the inputs. You would think, right? Well, but, but, initially I thought the the, but it's not, the but other, it's, but it's not true. Okay. So. Um, that plant did not it's it did not uptake any physical things from that dirt mhm there's no dirt particle that's in that leaf but the nutrients so the nutrients um they did not get extracted from the dirt so at a, and where i'm going with this is basically if you did the same thing with a human being Everything that has ever come through you from the from the time you were hooked up the umbilical cord to now, if you were to weigh all of it and then you die and we dehydrate you and, you know, we're left with just, you know, uh, um, you know, tissue and bone and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, it can't be directly attributed to all of the things, you know, that you pull in. It's a little simpler with like the plant analogy, but at a quantum level, you don't absorb anything like at a cellular level, you're exchanging energy. So from when things break down the smallest, you know, there's not like a piece of protein that just does something or a carbohydrate that does something. It's an exchange of energy at a, at the highest level, mm-hmm. you know? So you're, <clears throat> you're literally talking about uh, energy frequencies and everything on the planet has a vibrational frequency. Every thing, like uh, metal, vibrates faster than wood. Right. Because metal is harder. The faster the electrons are spinning, the higher the vibrational frequency and the more dense that material is. At least I'm, you know, I may not be explaining all of this perfectly, but the more dense something is. I, I wouldn't is, know if you're perfectly yeah. explaining <laughs> but the, the I'm just trying to keep up. Just trying to keep up. So the point of it is the harder things get, it has to do with uh, the frequency, okay. Right? And everything in your body 
recognizes things based on frequency on an energetic level. Okay. So without going further down that rabbit hole, chiropractic has an effect on that. Okay. Acupuncture has an effect on that. On on your density or, or uh, at a higher vibrations. Level? Yeah, you yeah. Know, and your chiropractic has an effect on that. Acupuncture has an effect on that. Meditation has an effect on that. Posit- having positive mental attitude has an effect on that. Because mm-hmm. really, what are we but energy in a physical form? Mm-hmm. You know, nothing is created, destroyed. And the whole plant thing, the plant thing, that was energy from the sun, right? Yeah. Being converted into physical matter. Okay. Pretty wild to think about. Yeah. You know, there literally energy was just transmuted into a different form mm-hmm. by the plant. I mean, you know, life, if you you really start getting into all this stuff and you go down that wormhole, which I've been going down for most of my life, mm-hmm. um, you get to a place and the, the more you think you know, the more you realize you don't like there's, we understand like of all the things we know about the human body. I mean, shoot, just the brain. We don't even know how anesthesia works medically. We know <laughs> that this drug does this, but I asked an anesthesiologist at one time, I was like, how does it work? He's like, well, you mean, well, there's three drugs. There's propofol, there's this, you know, whatever. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like when you take it, like what's it doing? He said, we don't know. I said, we don't know. Like you don't know or nobody knows. <laughs> And he's like, nobody knows. Wow. And he said, what's going on in the brain? So you ever had surgery? Yeah. So when you go to surgery, you wake up and you have no perception of time passing, right? Mm-hmm. When you go to sleep, you know if you took a half hour nap or you slept the whole night, generally yeah. speaking, right? Yeah. You usually have some perception of time. So what's going on in the brain during that period of time when you're under? And you have no perception of time's passage. Apparently, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. No, we don't. And, you know, so there's a lot of questions about that or even just stuff like um, like your body isn't just neurological communication. They have measured um, that are like for you to be able to sing. I don't know if you sing or not, but for you to be able to sing, neurology cannot explain that. Nerves are too slow. They communicate at about 300 miles an hour. That's as fast as a nerve can go. So, like, when you get a reflex done, and, you know, whether it was me or another doctor hits your knee, there's a split-second delay before your leg jumps, right? Mm -hmm. So, that's 300 miles an hour, stimulus to the knee, up to the brain, turn around, process, right back. Well, actually, that reflex goes to your spine. It doesn't go all the way up to your brain. That actually is a spinal reflex. So, basically, from your knee to your spine – is what, maybe 18 inches? Mm-hmm. It turns around and it goes right back. So you're talking about three feet of movement. Yeah. And you can see that delay. Yeah. How is it that a quarterback uh, can throw a ball to a guy downfield and put the ball, make all those calculations, a giant freaking physics equation, airspeed, wind resistance, the temperature, how fast the yeah. guy's running, whether he's moving or not, all yeah. of that. Where he is now, where he's going to be. Yeah. yeah. Neurology cannot explain how we're able to do that. Um, what they're starting to realize is that our cells can communicate using light. Mm-hmm. And there is actually, uh, and you can do this with plants too. They have special uh, cameras that can you put it into an insanely dark room. Anything that's alive glows. 
So you glow, I glow, plants glow, everything that's living emits light. <clears throat> and they have technology now where they can actually see pulses moving back and forth. So your, your body is able to communicate with itself through channels that we're barely even aware of. And there's things out there, chiropractic, acupuncture, meditation, mental attitude, you know, being happy, praying, you know, whatever it is, there's things that affect those things. And there's things, you know, that they're starting to come up with, uh, you know, technology. You're talking about like uh, biofields. Um, right now we're sitting in each other's heart biofield, mm-hmm. you know, where there's a magnetic, there's an electromagnetic field around your body, just like any, like even this electronic equipment, there's a field around it. Yeah. And they used to think that the field only extended, but so far around the body. But now they only thought that because the technology at the time uh, that all that stuff was being talked about and discovered was not um, powerful enough to read anything any further. And so your field extends, you know, much further. And uh, I mean, it's amazing stuff. I mean, the, the, I mean, there is, uh, there's there's a good documentary on the Gaia channel called Missing Links where this guy, Greg Braden, kind of breaks things down and does it episode by episode and explains it pretty well and, um, you know, kind of ties it all together with, you know, trying to, he's, he's trying to shift the planet, um, it, you know, basically trying to help people realize this stuff and... I don't know, the whole uh, shift towards moving away from violence. And, you know, like right now, the world is the safest it's ever been, you know, even with all the crap you hear and, you know, stuff in the news and wars and whatever, there's never been a more peaceful time, you know, to be alive. And people are, you know, in a cycle of becoming less violent, more connected. And yeah, you know, I believe that. Yeah. It's interesting when you zoom out and, and sort of take stock of those things and, and, uh, you know, when people are going on in the social media and the media and, and that's, uh, it's loud and it's angry and you hear things like the, uh, what, what is the, um, the silent majority yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and the extremely loud minority, blah, blah, blah. Yep. I had, oh, those, those are a little painful things to think about how they influence us. I guess to the extent you're talking about the the 20 layers of depth, I think about like psychology the same way and, and where you're talking about the, the positive way of thinking and, and maybe, um, uh, like unwarranted confidence and how it can actually have an effect on, on performance or things like that, like that, that definitely makes sense to me. Um, man, the, so the, I I guess the the mechanical aspect of it though, like uh, getting things adjusted and back right, like what what percentage of uh, in, in chiropractic, what percentage of the benefit is that? So <clears throat> they tell us that ninety percent of health and healing is mental emotional. Mm-hmm. I believe that. And so, if it really depends, most of the adjusting I do, therefore is adjusting the physical effects of the manifestations of mental emotional disturbance, you know, stress. You okay? So I'm releasing the lid from a pot that's 
the lid's stuck on, it's pressurizing, and it's going to blow. Uh-huh. And if I can release that lid in a regular manner for somebody and help offset their lifestyle, then all of the negative neurotransmitters, hormones, and, you know, uh, inflammation and all that kind of stuff is going to manifest in their body less. And whether it's pain, whether it's generalized inflammation, that's going to contribute to low energy, brain fog, you know, whether it's going to interfere with their focus or their heart beating effectively or breathing most efficiently or their digesting or whatever it is. Like if you're, let's just say you're had misalignments in say T5 through T9, they go to your stomach. Mm -hmm. And let's say because of that, it's been going on for years, the nerves, because of constant irritation on those nerves, those nerves, let's just say they're functioning at 85%. Mm -hmm. You're not going to die, you know, but you're just not going to digest effectively. If you're not digesting effectively, you're not going to absorb effectively. So you're going to need to eat more food to get the same nutrition, Mm -hmm. which means now you're getting extra calories. And if you're always hungry, maybe you're going to crave more calorically dense food instead of nutritionally dense food. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had people get adjusted and two months later they've lost five to 10 pounds without trying, you Mm. know, and from one adjustment, no, no, no. Like a a series of adjustments because they're, whether it's their digestion or some other thing, or maybe they're just feeling better and they didn't realize that they're now being more active. Yeah. That makes sense because you know what I'm saying? There's, there's so many subtle effects that I have no way of knowing what, but I've had people that have come to me multiple times and I've heard this from mentors. So like people are going to come to you and say, could adjusting have anything to do with you losing weight directly? No, you know, but maybe somebody's feeling better and because they're feeling better, they don't need so much comfort food. Yeah. Maybe they, they don't stop off at the gas station to get garbage every day on the way home from work. Maybe right. it's once a week now, you know, and they're doing it subconsciously because they're not craving, you know, they don't feel like shit. So they're going to go out one night with their yeah. friends and they walk around downtown for a couple hours instead of sitting home and eating pizza and drinking. You know what I'm saying? What about uh, on the converse side, let's say when, if they're unadjusted and, and the lid on the pot does boil off or blow off or whatever, um, what, what are some of the like most common ways that that physically looks like in that analogy? Let's, well, I'd say, I mean. Is the digestion like a low hanging fruit, like that's a most common or is it high blood pressure or. Um, well, so chiropractic is not something in the sense where. It's a, if you have this, do this. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the way that chiropractic is marketed, you have to have a message, mm-hmm. you know, and the message that originally chiropractors had was, and this goes back to the story about the AMA and the anti-quackery committee. The original story of chiropractic was optimizing nervous system function. D.D. Palmer was talking about tone. And he talked about frequency and he wrote this book in 1905. And if you read it now and you look at it in the context of what we know about uh, vibrational frequency and quantum mechanics and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. a lot of what he is saying um, in 1905 was stuff that was basically being said in different words, um, by physicists, you know, like the man was a man ahead of his time, you know? And so he talked about if you normalize tone and when you 
there's in chiropractic, there's techniques that are referred to as tonal techniques where you're not adjusting in the sense that you know me to adjust you or your family or whatever. Um, it's stuff where you're, you know, it's more focused on, uh, I don't know, energy for lack of better word. And when you say tone, you mean like audio tone? Uh, well, yeah, all, all tone is audio is, is frequency. Uh-huh. Our voice is frequency, right? Yeah. So you have frequencies you can't hear. Right. Right. You know, when your heart beats, electromagnetic frequency, you can't hear it or see it, but it's there. You know, we're surrounded by it. Your uh-huh. cell phone, your computer, the light, the fan, any anything. The earth has an electromagnetic, uh, an electromagnetic frequency. So um, your body, we're communicating via frequencies as mm-hmm. well as not just our verbal frequencies that we can hear, but just, you know, you, someone walks in a room, you get a good feeling about them. It's energy. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's stuff, there's ways we communicate, but in terms of, uh, you know, uh, tonal type things, you're, 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 uh, we're addressing like anytime there's some new technology that comes out and, and I, and I talk about chiropractic, that's obviously what I do, but, you change your diet, you change your tone. You start thinking more positively, you change your tone. You meditate, you're literally changing your tone. There's technology that can measure your brain waves. Mm-hmm. What are your brain waves? An expression of, of tone. It's an electromagnetic frequency in your brain that you're capable of changing if you focus on it. Yeah. Um, you know, through meditating and, you know. Is that like opt- optimism versus pessimism sure, as yeah. well? Yeah. yeah. It's 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 a different uh, energy. And... Uh, if people were led to focus on these things, you know, I think we would have a lot of, a lot more, uh, healthy, happy, well-adjusted people. I think, I think we've societally, I think we've just gone the, the way of, of, of profit for so long. And, you know, and this kind of a, a, a bigger point that I think about often is, you know, I'm 40 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, you're what, 30? 30, 30, so about to be 37. About yeah. to be 37. You remember probably being a teenager like yesterday. Mm, yes and no. Yes and no, right? <laughs> There's times yeah. where it flies. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. Like, it doesn't feel that my life has dragged on, uh-huh. you know, and the, and the, the longer I've been I think around, it's, it's the opposite. The faster yeah. time goes. And, there is a phenomenon where your time pass. The longer you've been on Earth, the 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 faster time passes for you. Yeah, yeah you remember t- going on a car ride when you're a kid, and a half hour felt like absolute misery. Yeah. Now, like I daydream, and all of a sudden, like a half hour of driving has has passed. Yeah. You know, and it's because you have more hours of life. So a half hour relative to forty years of life for me is a whole lot different than a half hour of life relative to 80 yeah, yeah or seven yeah son you know yeah yeah <clears throat> and so that's why time you know and in time if you look at i mean again going back to the whole quantum thing uh if you to get newtonian physics and quantum physics to work together time cannot be part of the calculations mm-hmm. and it's i don't know if you ever heard this but time is really it's not it doesn't exist yeah it exists because we agree upon it you uh-huh. know, but there is only now, you know, and now, now was now in the 1800s because we called it that. I mean, it's a crazy concept to think about, but the, the point of it is time is relative. We've agreed upon it. There is only now we live a finite life. 
in a time. And really, what is it that people, uh, I don't know, I guess, what are people after at the whole end? What's the whole point of our existence? Yeah, that's you a know, tough one. What's that? That's a tough that's one. That's a tough one, right? What's the point of our existence? And if we're here, what are we supposed to be doing while we're here? And what I've at the very least come to, I don't know that what we're all supposed to be doing here, but I know that what most of us are doing, we shouldn't. You know, <clears throat> if you're not here to love people, care about people and try to make to serve, yeah. you know, to serve people and make other people's lives better at the end of the day, at the end of your life. If you happen to be lucky enough, I don't know, well, let's say it's lucky to have some time and know that the end is coming as opposed to just by a truck by surprise one day yeah. or something or a heart attack or whatever. But the normal human condition is whatever life expectancy, let's call it 80. You know, let's just say that's what it should be. Um, normal, healthy, hunter-gatherer societies have a two-year decline on average, and then you, you die. You mm-hmm. go to sleep one day, you don't wake up. You just get weaker, weaker, and that's, and that's it. Mm-hmm. In America, the United States, we have a 16-year decline where you are not living the way you want to live on average 16 years before you die. You're not walking around, you're not getting around, you're not, you're not traveling and being able to climb steps to look at the pyramids and hike and camp and see your grandkids or, you know, whatever it is, 16 right. years of some form of disability lifestyle related. You think that's because we prolong life or we mess it up? We mess there, it up. And therefore, if, if let's say that the, the end is fixed and it's 80 in this example, that we just mess up to where the last 16 is, is compromised. So yes and no. So genetics um, controls more of lifespan than we'd like to believe. Uh-huh. So whatever it is, however long you're going to live, your lifestyle will have uh, some effect on how long you live, but it will have a much larger effect on how you live while you're alive. Uh-huh. So, you know, like people think like, oh, you know, you do all this health stuff and take supplements and working out and all these different things. You know, you think you're going to live forever. You're going to die just like everybody else. I said, yeah, but if I could be that 96 year old that feels good enough to do a triathlon Mm -hmm. as opposed to a half brain dead dementia patient that's been rotting away for the last 15 years in a nursing home and still be 96, I would choose to be finishing a triathlon. I would choose to be active or to be going to the gym and working out or seeing my family traveling, you know, Mm -hmm. experiencing the world giving back, making other people's lives better, that would be what I would choose. And if I'm able to make decisions now, you know, to set myself up for that. But I think so many people don't realize that what they're doing now really is paving the path of what their, you know, later uh, years will be like if they're lucky or by some people's estimates, unlucky enough to live that long. Like I know a lot of people say, I'd never want to be 90. Say, no, you don't ever want, it's not that you don't want to be 90. It's you don't want to be sick 90. And there is people that are healthy and active and enjoying. I mean, I was just talking to a patient the other day, said they had a guy in their church just died at 106 years old. And the man was getting around. Yeah. Drove himself to church, you know, like got around, saw his family, 
I have another uh, patient. His grandfather is like 94, 95, lives on a farm in Western North Carolina. The guy is tall, good posture, tends to the chores of the farm every day. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and the guy lives alone. Right. You know, like he just this old man that's just been doing it and, and yeah. keeps on doing it. So it's the people don't want to live with what they associate with being 90. Right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and because most 90-year-olds aren't, whereas the ones that have really, really invested, um, you know, have more life in those years. Yeah. And we only have so much time, you know, to uh, to be here. And my whole thing is, you know, why not get the most out of it you can? And the the um, the balance on there is, I think, where it's a constant flux because, you know, we're, we're kind of chatting a little bit you know, before about some business, family dynamics mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, you know, I, I, I work a lot less than I could and I give away a lot of, uh, lost income or potential income mm-hmm. by doing so. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I do that and have done that and, um, you know, divorce now, but mm-hmm. at the, at the time, you know, I was married and, you know, uh, things were good for a very long time and um, in the marriage and obviously, you know, things change and whatever. But I got to see my kids first thing in the morning. I got to see them at lunchtime because I took three to four hour lunches. So I would go home and I would see my ex-wife. I would see the kids and then I would get home and I would get to see them something briefly in the evening. Yeah. And I, at one point I was only working three days a week. You know, well, I was going to say just... Um because obviously I know it and I have the background, but if you were to say at a high level, what do you aim for on your schedule? Is It, it is obviously, it's the morning after you send the kids off to school and, and have some quality time. You w- work several hours and then you have the midday break yep. and then you have afternoon sessions. So there's where it works well for you and then where it works well for the, um, the, the target audience or customers, whatever we're calling them. But um one thing I was going to ask is, do you feel like right now, like you've, you've mastered it? Like that's the perfect schedule as it fits the, the customer audience as well as you, or do you think there's still like tweaks over time and like, why does it work well? So right now things are out of balance mm-hmm. and I bought another chiropractic practice about a year ago, October 23rd will be a year ago. And you know, the guy was moving back to Hawaii and it was a good opportunity. You know, both of us, uh, you know, neither of us were tap dancing away from the deal, which it was a good deal. You mm-hmm. know, we both, uh, gave a little bit, we both got, got a little bit. And, um, so it was, it was a good thing, but in doing so, it was a good business decision for me to follow his hours as well as my hours. So I went from working, um, three days a week to six mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and, and this went on basically uh, shortly after uh, really, I mean, I think we signed paperwork about a two months or so, maybe month and a half after divorce uh, finalized. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was a lot of, a lot of stuff going on, changing stuff with kids and school and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, a, a new relationship that I was in, you know, that I've been seeing her now for like, you know, 
year and a couple of months, <clears throat> which is going well, but there's a dynamic there. And so I've been a bit out of balance, um, you know, for most of the year. And I chose that mm-hmm. because I knew like, okay, I need to suck it up a bit and yeah. just do what I need to do. Cause I'm open on most Saturdays and, you know, and I was frankly used to a lot of that, that downtime. And I realized how much of it was affecting my, my mood. And it's not that my hours are so long. It's just being in there every day and having to engage and turn on. And yeah, I was going to say to the extent you have to sort of mentally prepare and, and pour all of your energy into people and you're not conserving, you know, that, that energy for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. And you get a little spoiled, you know, you get a little spoiled and you know, I didn't go to, I didn't spend eight years in school to sign myself up for a nine to five or Mm -hmm. nine to six or an eight to six or, you know, a lot of people work really long hours and they work really hard and they, uh, the weekend comes around and they're exhausted and they're not taking care of themselves. And Mm -hmm. and I understand, you know, like I understand that. And I think that in itself is a, the whole, you know, the whole 40 hour work week. I mean, there's research out there basically says that, uh, you know, after I think three hours of work, that's all most people do in an eight hour day is work for three hours. Yeah, I've read that. Yeah. And your brain can only do so much. Uh, and you look at that same context with kids in school, you know, and the whole all day school and all day work really just is a throwback to when we were uh, 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 an, an industrial society, you know, factories. Yeah. And it was and it was meant to limit the 15 or 16 hour days that people were doing six days a week. Right. You know, and, and, uh, you know, all that stuff started changing, you know, 1920s, 1930s, there was some movement with that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, we work too much to, it is impossible. If you have a working wife and a working husband and you have a family, there is no way that everybody can get to the gym that every day there can be fresh food cooked and prepared and that everybody could be getting all their needs met. And that has been engineered. The more unhappy you are, the more consumeristic you're going to be, the more food you're going to buy, the more takeout stuff you're going to need, the more clothes you're going to buy retail therapy, you know, a nicer car, you know, a bigger house that you never sit in, you know, like just all of that kind of stuff is a consequence of people being, unhappy and most of them I don't think really giving much thought to why because we're living completely opposite of what our DNA and what our DNA and what our ancestors did and I'm talking our hunter-gatherer ancestors would generally hunt or gather two days a week and have five days of recreation yeah and we if we're lucky work only five days a week right and if we're lucky have recreation on the weekend, but the weekends usually just more work. Yeah. You know, I've had weekends where I'm catch look- up around yeah. the house. Yeah. I've weekends where I'm looking forward to going back to work on Monday. Cause it was more relaxing, yep. you know, to work than all the other, you know, chaos of, uh, and most of it's just, uh, it's crap. Yeah. You know, it's, you're filling your life with things that don't, you don't use things that don't make you happy. And, uh, to impress people that you don't even really right, like. There you go. Yeah. Fight club, <laughs> you know, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? And, and so I think the health question, you, 
I don't think you can address health without taking a step back and looking at why, why would people choose to be unhealthy? You know, for a period of time, you yeah. didn't take care of yourself very well, Yeah. but you didn't consciously look at it and say like, you know, I need to destroy my body right now. Yeah. You know, there was something that set you down that, that path. Well, I was thinking about, it, as you said earlier of the, um, so, well, on one hand, it's like you, uh, when you're earlier in your career, which I was like, you're, you don't ever know which opportunity could be the one that, right. or that will essentially like bring you to the next level or get you recognized in such a way that you'll theoretically um, be able to make, create more compensation, blah, 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 blah. And so I think you, you sort of calibrate to that, but to, I don't know. So there's like an, uh, I, I, you don't know what you don't know. And, and you're trying to keep all the buckets full and you're like, Oh, if I can just get this bucket really full and, and get myself on a good path, then I'll worry about that. And then you realize how far you set yourself back. You know, you, yeah. like I probably gained like eight pounds a year for like 10 years or more, you know? And, and you're like, in, in year doses, you're like, ah, oh, man, this isn't great, but it's not that bad. But geez, as it you. goes on over 10, 12 years, you know, that's cumulative, like a, a hell of a lot of weight. And, and you know, the balance of everything, like, I guess you go from at one point sleeping eight hours a night to all of a sudden, okay, now we're only sleeping seven. And it's there's a decrease, but I'm still getting seven. And then six becomes acceptable. And then five. And it's, yeah. you know, it's just like eroding away um at those things and until i guess for me it was like oh shit things are like way out of balance and you believe it was worth it because at yeah. the time when you made those trade-offs it was do this to get to here yeah and do this to get to here and do this and you know and i see this all day everything i talk to uh, very very few people are so depressed and self-loathing that they will just sit there and be like, I'm going to do this to destroy myself. Yeah. You know, it comes like you were just talking about. It's, it's insidious. Yeah. It sneaks up on you over time. I had a guy one time, one of the first patients that actually ever said what you just said to me, he was 300 and something pounds and he was like 5'10". Yeah. And I was like, that describes me. <laughs> yeah. And he was, uh, you know, talking to him and he's like, he's like, I honestly, I said, I know it sounds ridiculous. He said, but until I stepped on the scale one day and it said 305, it didn't hit me that I had put on a hundred something pounds in the course of 10 years. Yeah. Cause he said a hundred pounds in 10 years. He said, that's less than a pound a month. Exactly. And he said, you know, jeans get a little tight, you know, once a year you get new jeans anyways, cause they wear out and oh, yeah. these ones fit and you know, you you don't look at it cause you don't want to. And you know, and it's just like he said, and I was like, cause I remember sitting there, how absurd it was to say like, you didn't notice a hundred extra pounds come on. But when he explained it that way, and then I started seeing that and understanding, you know, what you just said, I mm -hmm. mean, you're busy doing other stuff. Cause what, what is it to like uh 6,800 calories or something as a pound? Um, I don't remember. I I'm thought it was sure. something like that. And if you, 
Oh, maybe I like 35. I think it's like 35. 35? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, maybe that sounds more right. But that's probably like five McDonald's meals. So if you have five in a month, one in a week, that doesn't seem like a lot. But it can add up. Fuck yeah. But it... Um, and it adds up the other way because it's a habit. Yeah. It's a bad habit and there's a, a good habit, you know? Yeah, and I, th- I think, uh, I mean, I guess because... Uh, you know, I think about it in terms of priorities, but it's not as if I like deprioritized obviously the the career or anything. It's like now I had to like dig deeper to correct the one situation while still maintaining and thriving in, in the professional situation. So, you know, that makes it hard, but obviously then you're like still redlining the engine and, and yeah. thankfully I didn't uh, I mean, knock on wood, right? I didn't get to a point where uh, crisis the, the, situation, yeah, the crisis yeah. situation where the risk materialized and and I died or something. Again, yeah, knock on wood. Yeah, but um, uh, you know, I guess everybody's not that lucky. Uh, of course, you know, it's it sucks, man. It's it's hard, but again, yeah, it, it just creeps up on you. Um, you were talking about the simplicity thing earlier. Yeah. Well, sorry. Let me let yeah. me hit on that because I intended to. That's like because I was pretty good in in certain areas over like the last ten years to where I could just like ratchet it down for a few months and lose like twenty thirty pounds, and I can think of like you know, at least once a year, twice a year, I would try to do that, but still like, um, would gain back. And so this has been the only thing being like a little bit better. And I, and I've said this a couple of times, but I think one thing like the, the whole CrossFit thing, like the right. constantly varied nature of it, sure. that's been something, at least with the exercise, you know, I know there's like the, the intake and then, and then the outtake of, of calories burned, but that's been something that's helped because it isn't like, oh, you need to run three miles every day or you need to do X, Y, Z. You need mm-hmm. to – that gets, like, long in the tooth. It's it's just, like, be generally more active. And, and again, like, I certainly haven't perfe- perfected it, um, but trying to be just generally more active. Like, if I need to run to the store, thankfully we live in a, an area where I can just, like, ride the bike or walk yeah. rather than get in the car. Sure. So I try to make – decisions like that and when we lived overseas in a big um metropolitan area like i would ride in cars with drivers i'd be in traffic and on the weekend i'd be like i'm just not going to get in a car all weekend one because of the mental aspect of like losing my mind in traffic but two of the attempting to be generally more active so yeah like that has been um that's been a a good way what were you gonna say about it well, there's a couple things, I guess, a <clears throat> uh, couple things were planted by what you just said, but the one thing was there was a, uh, a seminar, like an online business course. It was called, uh, now it's something different, but it was called Chiropractic Business Finishing School, and it was like a, a four-year thing to try and, you know, they don't teach us much business, you know, in medical school, chiropractic school, any mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff, and there was... Some people get out and it's like, okay, this is all business. Screw the patient. I'm just here to make money. Mm-hmm. Then there's people where it's like, which is kind of the, the other side was more the camp I was in was screw the business. I just want to help people. Mm-hmm. And you believe that everything will work itself out if you just give good care and take care of people. 
And that's not the case because we, it's a competitive market. You know, you have to, if I don't, if I can't stay successful, I can't keep my doors open, can't keep the doors open. I can't help people. Right. And early on, I almost did that to myself, put myself out of business before I even had a chance to do any good. Right. And so I had to learn, um, after the fact, a lot of things. And so one of the things that they talked about in this, uh, school was, um, simplicity, on the far side of complexity is the goal. And there's some quote and it was like, it was, I wouldn't give a fig for simplicity on the near side of complexity, but I would give my life for simplicity on the far side of complexity. So the whole thing is trying to make the complex simple, not trying to simplify to the point of non-growth. Because yeah. the whole point of the human experience, at least one of them, I think, is to grow. Mm-hmm. And if you grow to the point where you can, you know, you start out, oh, I, know, I have a patient, he started out uh, drying cars at a car wash. Mm-hmm. 15 years later, he owns the car wash, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a very popular one in town. Um, and the guy does very well for himself. But what was probably busy days for him when he was just toweling cars off and wiping tires, you know, now that's probably nothing to him because he's overseeing an operation at any given point. When I'm there, there's 30, 40 people running around doing all sorts of things, seeing yeah. Lamborghinis in there getting detailed and whatever. So, and he still has the same, let's just call it eight hours in a work day. Right. You know, but he does a whole lot more because he's mastered being, uh, simple on the far side of complexity and he reaps the rewards much more than when he was just, you know, toweling uh, cars off. Yeah. And I think you just, I don't think it comes naturally as you get older. I think you have to seek it. You have to yeah. look for ways to be more effective, you know, uh, in what you say, what you do, your habits, you know, you have to boil everything down and figure out, you know, what's working, what's not working. And that quote kind of always stuck with me. And it was, don't try to remove things from your life. Don't try to shrink, you know, get to the far side of that hill, you know, where the far side of complexity and have it be simple um, there. And I think, uh, you know, that's somewhere health wise. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I mean, I still eat crap from time to time and snacks and inherently some people like fried stuff. Some people like sugary. I like sugary. If I'm going <laughs> to went to the movies the other day, killed a box of hot tamales, you know, yeah. and uh, sometimes I'll get a thing of cookies for a couple of days in a row and I'm eating a pack of cookies all at once, you know, yeah. and I've had, you know, in years past, definitely way, you know, too much sugar, but I realized, you know, I could only go so long, you know, playing that game before, consequences start to creep up and I'm also in the health arena. So there's part of like, I don't want to be a hypocrite, mm-hmm. you know? So the, one of the ways I get around being a hypocrite is saying what I just said, letting you and other people know that I'm not perfect. I got my problems, my challenges. I'm not, you know, in the ivory tower having everything, you know, perfectly figured out. But I feel like, um, I feel like what I do and what I talk about, um, just health perspective, I think is always right. I, th- I don't think there's a point where if I have a conversation of telling somebody you need to prioritize your health because everyone that loves you and care about you needs you to be healthy mm-hmm. because if you're not, you're not you 
you're not yourself and eventually you'll become a burden to the people that you take care of, you know, like and it isn't going to be fun between point A and point, point Z. Yeah. yeah. There's, isn't, there's nothing for anybody. And so I, I think that, uh, that conversation is always, you know, relevant, uh-huh. you know, where a lot of other professions, you know, if you have a nice house, you have a nice house. You don't need to get a bigger one just to get a bigger one. You don't need to move just to move. Like that conversation, once you get the house you want, where you want, what's the point? Yeah. You know, like you, you stay there, you move there. And that's what people did up until recently in history. Like my grandparents, you know, on my one side, my mom's side, they bought a house in 1953, I think. My mom was born in the house, grew up there. Both my grandparents died in the house, you know, like 50-something years that bought a house for $3,000, and when they died, it was worth like three thirty. Yeah. You know, like, and they weren't paying interest to banks every, you know, every seven years, right, and a person buys another house, and it takes coincidentally seven years to get through the majority of your interest payments on a mortgage. So you let her, you never own your house. You never... Yeah catching up and, you know, just a different, uh, I don't know, a a very different focus. That age group, my grandparents on the one side never even had credit cards, lived and died without credit cards, you know, and, but there's another side of that where, you know, in business, you can use credit to expand and do things. And I have a mentor where he said, you know, yeah, personal credit, you need to be very cautious with. Business credit, you still need to be cautious with. He said, but if you could, so what if you signed a million dollar note on something? If your payments are a thousand dollars a month and you can earn five thousand dollars a month, yeah. And someday, what do you do with the business? You sell it. Right. So that debt is never really yours if yeah. you know set up appropriately. Or it never, it never, uh, it never like materializes. It never affects you. Or if right, you can right. Use a million, yeah. Leverage a million and then make three. You know, why, why would, yeah, why, if you could do it, you know, um, why wouldn't you? But, but, you know, the, I guess that, you know, the point, the point of all of it is, is there is, um, I think that people, um, need to shift focus and priority and kind of wake up to the fact that we live in the most consumeristic country in the world. Yeah. And the end result of that is very poor health. Yeah. And if life is about being healthy and being able to enjoy your own, you know, you're a, you're an energetic being in a meat suit. Uh-huh. You got to take care of your meat suit. I mean, literally, yeah. that's what it is, you know. Yeah. Like, I've heard it described as meat vehicle. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Like, put good fuel into the vehicle. Right. I think it was maybe you or someone else that said, if you're fueling the vehicle and then you're immediately getting tired, you're putting the wrong fuel in yeah, the vehicle. Yeah, I think yeah, that was yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I know I've said it. It could have been someone else, yeah. too. You know, not in a completely unique, you know, idea. But, yeah, you know, we're, we are some form of energy mm-hmm. that is trapped in a meat suit for a period of time. And whatever happens, whatever that energy that is you and me, whatever it was before we came to be and whatever it comes to be after we're gone – at least from this physical plane of existence, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. But while we're here, we know that our meat suit needs certain care to allow us to do the things that the energetic beings that we are 
wish to do, see, experience, and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, I think we have come so, we've drifted so far, and we have statistics. We can look at every country and see how they're doing. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough to do the research. It's there right in front of our face. And we can see you go to blue zones. Have you ever heard of those? No. Blue zones are parts of the world that have been identified where people regularly live to 100 years and they do it healthily. Uh, like certain parts of Japan. Uh, mm-hmm. Okinawa is a blue zone. Um, yeah. The Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica is a blue zone. Um, I forget some of the other ones, but there's a bunch of them. And they all have commonalities. Uh, there's a strong emphasis on family. Grandparents usually live with uh, parents. You know, you're not discarded when you get old. Mm-hmm. Wisdom is looked at. Discarded, I like that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, there's uh, a spiritual aspect of society, whether it's religious or not. Yeah, there's you believe a, in something. A connection and, yeah, a spiritual connection. Um, there is a sense of community. <clears throat> Neighbors know each other. People are involved in other people. There's community events. Um, there is a consumption of, there's a, a, a cultural consumption of fermented foods, whether it's sauerkraut or kimchi or chutney or, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever it is for that culture, there is uh, fermented foods being consumed. Um, there is a sense of uh, purpose, like people believe, you know, that, uh, culturally that everyone has a, a purpose mm-hmm. you know, in, in life, you're you find your purpose, you find your gift, and you give it away. You right. Know, you give it back. You're here to serve. Mm-hmm. You know, you're here to do things for other people, not just take. Um, and then uh, I can't remember. There was a, there was a couple. If you, you Google like blues, exercise. Well, well, yeah. So exercise. So a culture that uh, walking. Uh huh. You know, so an active culture. So they're. Communities where you can walk from place to place, that was part of it. Uh-huh. I, that was, thank you. Um, but yeah, there was, but most of these places, they don't have gyms to go to. Yeah. You know, it's not that you need to go work out. It's just when you live in Monkey Junction and you got to go work in Ogden, you can't feasibly walk that every day. Yeah. You know, um, but if you were able to ride your bike to the grocery store mm-hmm. and you did that as a habit and you rode bike to work and you know all these different things but culturally we're kind of trapped you know if you showed up to an office soaked in sweat because you rode your bike um 15 miles in the heat mm-hmm. you know like there's certain cultural norms you know most of the time our kids schools are too far away to ride a bike or yeah. walk anymore you know yeah. where my dad said he grew up you know he grew up in a city there was no buses you know, right. he said, if you, if you had a, if you got on a bus because uh, you had special needs, you know, like, you know, nobody rode the bus right? and nobody's parents walked them or picked them up or, you know, whatever. We walked uphill both ways. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. With newspapers for shoes, right. you know, in the cold. Um, but there was something to that or uh-huh. like my great uh, grandparents, when they went to the butcher, they, there was, you know, or even great greats, you know, they were, uh, there was no need to distinguish organic uh, anything because yeah. there was, they weren't putting, they didn't, they hadn't invented those pesticides and fertilizers and, uh-huh. you know, like we were talking earlier about medicine. 
uh, antibiotics weren't invented till the forties. Mm. So there wasn't a whole lot of, you couldn't give it to animals. Certainly we weren't even giving it to humans. Yeah. All the hormones and stuff like that all came on after your grandparents were born. Yeah. You know, so they spent most of their life. You might be wrong on those dates, but. They're younger or older? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're yeah. younger? Okay. Yeah. Oh, younger. Uh, sorry, older. Older. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like the, um, that kind of uh, stuff, we are now hitting a point where we are having multiple generations of people where grandma and grandpa never took care of themselves, then their kids, then their grandkids, and so on and so forth, where... Most people that were, let's just say men in the 19, early 1900s, mm-hmm. you can pretty much guarantee that every man had a physical job at some point in his life. Oh, yeah. And probably did most of their life. Right. So they were active. And you can probably guarantee that most families that eventually got a car only had one. Dad took it to work, which meant that mom and the kids were stuck at home. And if they wanted to go somewhere, they walked. Yeah. You know, or they walk to a bus at least or, you know. It's crazy when you think about all those macro and and the consumeristic culture, like how much of it is all like sort of by design. Like, yeah. Oh, man, that's a a head, a head funk. Yes. (laughs) So how do you so how do you fix the question is, how do you fix your health if you are forced to live? Not forced to. Yeah. But I guess choose to. And most people made decisions, you know, I signed into hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loans before I even understood the concept of what all that stuff would mean many years later. Yeah. So when you want to become an accountant, when you want to, you know, become any <clears throat> type of job or whatever, you there's no possible way when you're a kid, when you're a teenager. I mean, they say your brain your executive functioning isn't even finished developing until you're 25. Yeah. So most people have made all sorts of major life altering decisions before that. Big time. Maybe signed into a mortgage, a job, you know, cars, kids, marriage, you know. Certainly chosen like a field and a degree and a path, albeit most people don't always follow whatever their degree path, but yeah. And then there's, then they feel stuck. Many people do. Yeah. You wake up one day and you got, the house, the kids, the mortgage, the whatever, yeah. and you're like you're down a path, and I can't stop. And it's reactive, yeah. And it's a reactive path, and it's a path that is not conducive with a healthy lifestyle. Um, and uh, I've even talked with college kids that come in and see me, mm-hmm. you know, and I talk to them, and I'm like, listen, you're 22 years old right now. Whatever a lifestyle you set yourself down right now is going to set the momentum. So like when you get older and you, you know, think about settling down, get married, kids, you know, if you don't put health in your budget now, you'll make every excuse to remove it. Yeah. Like a gym, a gym membership is a non-negotiable for me. Yeah. Always has been right. Eating healthy for a very long time has been a non-negotiable for me. So that dictates what type of car I could buy. Yeah. It dictates what kind of house I could live in, what kind of vacations I might go on mm-hmm. because I'm not saving money by just, let's say, eating ramen mm-hmm. or off the dollar menu at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
Well, I think, too, what's like if you just get down that path, like I like how you put it to the – speaking of the 22-year-old college kid, because if they get down a path, staying on the path is a hell of a lot easier than going the wrong way oh, yeah. and then having to course correct. Yeah, yeah. Like what I'm doing right now. It's, it's a mission. So, you know, there's there's people who talk about I was just always have stayed in shape and that's what's made it possible. Like that, that makes complete sense to me. I think one of the things that I – like leading by example, like obviously you you have, uh, let's say, a very short path to being able to to make recommendations, see tweaks, see people at regular intervals. So that that's that's nice. One of the things I try to do is just like when I'm out there being active, riding my bike to the store around the neighborhood or walking, whatever, I just try to – I feel like one of the things, like quick aside, that I always try to do in life and that I value is – it kind of ties to what you said earlier is, is make people happy, make people smile, let them know how much I care about them, yeah. things like that. Like I get a lot of value out of, out of that. And so I was thinking about this the other day of how you make sort of a positive impact on, on your community. And I was like, while I'm out there doing those things, I want to like wave at everybody and smile and, you know, just sort of exert like positivity such that, either I make that little piece of their day better because somebody smiled at them and said hi and asked how they were doing, but also, um, well, like theoretically make what I'm doing look like fun and maybe encourage other people to do it too. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's, that's one of the ways that I've thought to, to your question of how do you sort of create that ripple effect and, and help people. That's, that's something that I've actually taken stock of as of late and, and tried to do more of. Yeah. I mean, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And I mean, like, you know, I, th- I think that, you know, for whatever reason, <clears throat> something woke up in you to make, make some changes. It's not that, you know, like you obviously were doing a lot of things, right. Uh-huh. You know, like you have a great family, you know, you're doing well for yourself. You travel, you've seen, more of the world, you know, as a consequence of, uh, or a benefit or consequence, I guess, depending on which countries you're going to, but, you know, you've seen places I'll never see, you know, and you've been, uh, you've integrated, you know, you've lived different places in the world. You've exposed not only yourself, but your wife, your kids to different cultures Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And, the type of work that I do, at least in the context I do it now, isn't really conducive, um, you know, to that. And so there's a lot of cool stuff I think you get, you know, and like the whole culture, like, I don't don't know, like I talked to people from different parts of Europe and said there is, people are more culturally aware and understanding because when you live in a place where we live in a place where we have 50 states that there's differences but we're still part of the same country mm-hmm. in the same place that 50 states exist. If you transpose that on top of Europe, you know, the United States is larger than the entirety of Europe. Right. And you have different languages, different cultures, different customs, different yeah. poverty levels and educational levels and all of that, you know, so you get to see, and I think you become a lot more accepting of other people and realize that, you know, um, everybody's after the same thing 
Well, I agree with that. And I think there's certain advantages or opportunities or nice to haves about traveling all these different places in the world. But I, I also think that there's like limitations into the depth of relationships as True. well. So being able True. to to be in one place and drill further down into um, either relationships or interactions or, or just make tweaks over time and how you interact with the same people over and over or or different parts of the community is is interesting and that is one that is like a con of moving around and and being in so many different places albeit like let's say less um uh, repeats or yeah well, you know what i mean i guess i you always think you know i guess the the grass the grass yeah. is greener to some degree and yeah you saying that made me remember something i i my i remember for whatever reason, just about everything I read, but I can't remember where I put keys or parked my car in a parking lot or whatever. But anyways, there's a uh, statistic for the, since the dawn of time, um, most dawn of humanity, anyways, most people never saw five miles from the place they were born ever. That's wild. Not once. Yeah. Not, Not once. So, if you look at the normal human state and you look at um, how we grew and when we were tribal and all that kind of stuff, once a tribe hits 140 people, they split because mm-hmm. there's, and incidentally, the average human being can entertain 140 relationships yeah where you know their story their kid plays soccer the kid wrestles you know this is what they do for work their grandparents they came from this town whatever and guys like you and guys like me where we our job is to know people mm-hmm. it's a muscle you can flex it a little bit yeah and like the politicians are the ones that like you see like gary v you know someone he sees somebody you know like, uh, I saw one the other day, bumped into some guy, and the guy's like, I don't know if you remember me, and Gary's like, hold on, hold on, you know. He's like, you were trying to start this business, and yeah. you were trying to do that. And yes, I remember, you know. Like, yeah. that guy is a superpower with yeah. that. Like I, he, think, I think I might have that one. Yeah. I like that. I might not always remember a name specifically, but if we sort of, like, go go there, talk about, oh, were you, do you know this person? Boom, and it can all Yeah, come and then out. it all it's comes back, right? And yeah. I, ha- yeah, I, have had patients where I hadn't seen them in ten years. Walk back in, and I remembered the name of their business that they were starting at the. Uh, yeah. I never even been to it, you know, yeah. like, but it's a muscle that you can kind of. I think there's there's you know some innate, you know, talent that people have. Mm-hmm. Like I know you're definitely one of those guys. Like mm-hmm. you're a connector, you know, um, but uh, way more so than me. Um, but I think mine just got flexed because of. I had to. It was part of my business. I mm-hmm. needed to get to know people. Um, but anyways, 140 is the average. Once you start to have to interact with more than that, you can't connect. And if you can't connect, then somebody will start pissing somebody off. Somebody will not like the way something's done. And instead of having a conversation based on love and connection and friendship and common interests, somebody's like, I'm leaving. Who's coming with me? Yeah. And that's literally how the spread of humans across the planet has happened. Um, so back to the point of traveling and moving around and stuff. If our bodies and our minds are 
uh, limited by the genetics, you know, based on thousands, hundreds of thousands of years of, of adaptation and evolution, all that kind of stuff. We have not adapted fast enough to the size that our, our world has become, mm-hmm. which is why... When to pe- the degree it's shrunk to over degree, a short period yeah, of time. Yes, yeah. the world shrunk and your awareness of people grew. Yeah. Where you were never supposed to know what the heck was going on in, in, in India yeah. or Kuwait or whatever, because the reality is you don't really care. Uh-huh. No, because you well, can't. Yeah, you, you can't. can't affect it. it. It doesn't affect you. Right. Is, is sort of probably the the roots of that. Yeah. And it may affect you. You know. Well, sure, but I mean, you don't, beli- you in, don't believe. Initially, you don't believe you, that right. you can affect it or it can affect right. you. Yeah. Yeah, but our minds are meant to a place where you're only supposed to see the same 140, 300 people. You know, you travel to another tribe, you trade, but you're trading with one guy. You're not getting to know every single person, uh-huh. you know, and that's what our minds are designed for. That's it. And so you can't connect with more people than that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't even connect with that many people, Yeah, you know, but if, if, if that's as far as you can go, um, there was another good uh, uh, thing I remember um, hearing on a, uh, is it like an audio subscription service of like science and, you know, politics and stuff relative to health and medicine. And they said that the default response to uncertainty in the brain is the threat response. Mm-hmm. And anytime you see a person you don't know, or anytime you know there could be a person in a place you don't see, you're excreting cortisol. Stress yeah, hormone. that makes sense. Every single person, you have to make a threat appraisal. And so when you go to the grocery, you're used to it. Yeah. Um, when you go to cities like New York City, people's adrenal glands are larger in cities than they are in people that live in the country. Because <laughs> they're <clears> constantly. Stress. Yeah. 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 You're, you're in a constant uh, threat appraisal. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you can't be healthy when you're constantly in that mode. And, um, you know, it's... it's uh, I wonder if that's why, like... You know, they say that, like, people in New York City, well, there was that one thing, the Wear Sunscreen song a long time ago. Okay, it's yeah, yeah, a, yeah. Or, I don't know, song or, like, yeah, you know, the verbal, whatever you call that, art. Um, said, uh, live in New York, but not so long that it makes you hard. Live in California, but not so long that it makes you soft. Okay. Something like that. I don't know if it was California. Yeah. But I guess generally I would think that people from New York are a little hardened, and maybe there's something to, like, what you just said is the... I mean, that's There's way fucking more people. Yeah. And, and even if you're not directly experienced to it, you probably interact with so many people that are, Yeah, even if you're like from rural areas of New York, you know, you're, you're used to interacting with people potentially from the city or from Jersey, things like that. Well, cause being, being happy. So like with people, uh, in New York and stuff like that, there was, um, Two things that came to mind uh, with that. There is um, masking. So you ever heard of that concept or a phenomenon called masking? Maybe just, uh, I think so, but. So you go on a subway. Mm-hmm. You've, been, you've been to New York. You've been to yeah. cities all over the world. Yep. Um, so when you get into places like that where it's really population dense, um, people were talking about like threat appraisal. Mm-hmm. People that are smiling are viewed as weaker. And if somebody, or if, if you can't 
if you're overloaded with threat appraisal and threat assessment, you don't want to make yourself look weak. Right. So you mask. You make yourself look mean. You make yourself look unhappy. Mm-hmm. So you go in the subway. Very few people are sitting there just smiling. Mm-hmm. So much to the point where if somebody was, you'd think they were crazy or you think they were trying to get something from you or take advantage of you. That's fair. Someone walks up in a city and is being nice to you for no reason. You're like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. You know, like someone walks up to you even wanting to have a conversation. There's 8 million people walking around. You don't know this guy. Why did he walk up to you? Yeah. You know? And so you got this whole thing of like, you know, I've got to put up this wall to protect myself. Uh-huh. And you look around and from the outside, you would assume that every single person on that subway is absolutely miserable and hates their life. And many of them may, I don't know, but there's probably some that are happy enough or at least think they are, or, you know, whatever. Um, and you talk about areas, you know, like that. I remember visiting uh, Southern California. I've been out there a bunch. And I went out before I graduated chiropractic school to basically couch surf with another buddy of mine at a buddy that had moved to California. And we went out, you know, surfing, hanging out, partying, mountain climbing, rock climbing, whatever. And we went out to uh, some bars to have some drinks or whatever. And he told us before going out, he's like, man, he's like, it's very different here. He said, you know, like, it's very materialistic. It's very hard to meet good people because everybody, um, it's such a hard place to establish yourself. People are seeing you, whether you're an opportunity or not, to know because they can use your social circle to climb up or out or, you know, yeah. establish themselves. Sure enough, went out, multiple girls that I talked to within the first sentence, literally, like, hey, I'm Dave, what's your name? Not even a name back, but I would get, what do you do and what do you drive? <laughs> I've never, yeah. ever been in any place where it was like that. Yeah. And he said it's just such a competitive area that it kind of bred that kind of culture of consumerism, materialism, and what can you do for me, Yeah, you know, kind of thing. And uh, Have that. Yeah. Have a good day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And it was that's just, my that's my classic uh, f you. Yeah, ex- yeah. Have a good day. Have a good day. And, and I explained <clears throat> to someone the other day that's that's my way of saying this conversation is complete. This yes. And, and I'm being polite. So yeah, being very you, polite. Yeah. We're gonna leave that with you. Yeah. <laughs> Have yeah. a good day. Have a good day. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that that whole thing has health effects. Uh huh. Physiologic effects, like there's, and it's not how we're supposed to live. Yeah, that's just such a far deviation from, you know, what is, I mean, the resources, I forget how many miles around New York City, you would have to plant crops and stuff like that. And mill like the the 8 million people that live in just such a small area, consume resources, you know, that could not be pulled for miles and miles and miles. Wow. It's such an unnatural thing in naturally, you know, nature, naturally speaking, you know what uh-huh. I mean? To be able to have that many people just to handle the waste alone. Oh yeah. You know, um, yeah. it's cra- crazy to think about. It's an amazing thing, you know, to look at, Uh huh. but, uh, 
you know, considering that some of my family um, were farmers in Manhattan, uh-huh. what is Manhattan now? Yeah. You know, it's crazy to think that, you know, great, great grandparents and great, great, greats. I mean, there was people on my dad's side of the family here since like the 16, 1700s. Yeah. You know, so to think that people were farming, you know, where skyscrapers are now. That's, that's totally wild. Yeah. Man, like, and to think, yeah, just to think about the transition over time, like the land going from those farms to some small buildings and then to the crazy monstrosities that that are there now. And I think the wall of Wall Street, if I remember correctly, was a wall. And it was to keep uh, natives out. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah. There's areas of uh, Metro Manila that are, you know, that we, that are still developing. And there's all sorts of, like, investment, like, um, it, it pivots and there's there's the next thing. And, and just to see some of it change. I, I obviously haven't been there long enough to see the massive changes, but people will point at certain areas that, there's there's more rural-ish areas adjacent, and they'll say, oh, yeah, all this area used to look like that. And I'm like, whoa. Just, you just can't imagine it. And New York City, I mean, goodness gracious. I've, I've been there. I've driven there. I've walked the streets, been to all these places. It's just it's hectic. It's exhausting. You know, you know what's interesting is that with the psychology stuff, like the, uh, the masking, I think what's interesting is to understand some of those things and then be able to, like, play with it and like use sure. it to your advantage and I, and I'll I'll try that and I always feel I always feel like I say this with presentations is when I give a presentation I'll like try different stuff and I'll see how it hits and like what works what doesn't and then the next presentation let's say I'll keep a couple of those that worked and then I'll integrate some new stuff and so I'm always playing with it and trying to see what works and and uh one of the things that I've always thought because I guess I initially had some reluctance like anybody or most people do to like the public speaking and whatever and a sort of a milestone that that I liked um and and goal I set for myself is when you can be giving the talk and still thinking while you're doing it and and in that respect like I'll be looking at how the crowd's reacting and what people are nodding to or, or getting excited about or smiling about or, or eagerly listening to versus not and and then tweak and like double down or go down certain paths like it's pretty interesting but having a psychology background like I always will be like like how I apply that to presentations I almost do it to like everything sure. like try you know uh instead of asking asking people hey how you doing today i'll say hey good morning how are you or and then like try to respond with something that they don't expect because everybody (laughs) just says casually like it's a throwaway to be like how you doing how How are you whatever and uh you know if somebody's like how you doing i'll be like i'm doing very well thank you for asking how are you yep and they're just like whoa you know, I get so many reactions <clears throat> where people give me, like, their eyes get big. And I, and it's I'm, a sincere how you doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, um, yeah, so I like uh, essentially understanding those things and then, and then let's say, lean into it, you know, sure. whereas people will be like, oh, well, you look weak if you have a smile on your face. I'll be like, okay. Yeah. 
take stock of me as weak, and then I'm gonna ask you a question that's gonna surprise you. you yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, like they tell people, like you know, you uh, if you think someone's following you in a city, turn around and look at them. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it's a pattern shift. You know, yeah. and most people they think they're being followed, they shrink. You know, they try to they. they the person following them knows that they know that they're being followed, mm-hmm. but they're afraid. And so they'll keep following you. Yeah. You turn around and you look at them. They realize like, all right, yeah, this guy. You disrupt the normal expectation yeah. of how things are going to go. Yeah. You're talking about what you were just saying about trying stuff and whatever. Uh, that's just, you know, basically you're doing a marketing concept. You're split testing, mm-hmm. you know? You're yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, just and split. I love marketing. Yeah. yeah, and split testing is something. I mean, I, I've even with uh, having young kids, you know, like I look at stuff and it's like, all right, well, that was not a very effective, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, method of pattern, you know, behavior correction or whatever. Yeah, and it's crazy. I mean, you know, I have two boys, and what worked with getting the older one to do things didn't, isn't not working with the younger one. Yeah. You know, like the older one's definitely more, more sensitive and, um, you know, like it didn't take much. I could have a conversation with him, mm-hmm. you know, and figure stuff out where the younger one he, at the same age, it's like, he's a lot more, uh, frustrating, mm-hmm. you know? So I've, instead of trying to do the same thing and be frustrated that it's not working the same way, I've been trying to, you know, play with, uh, you know, different, um, I don't know, parenting techniques or whatever yeah. to get them to do what I want them to do, which is be a normal human and not a sociopath that most kids come <laughs> out like, you know, <laughs> just, it's, you know, yeah, wanting everything the way they want it and want it now, oh, you know, goodness. without regard for, you know. You like hope that that like naturally sorts itself out, right? Well, the yeah. thing is. That actually, from a psychology perspective, it's they have to be. Yeah. Because the only way kids get what they need. It's a survival instinct. Is to demand it. Yeah. And they have to be taught, you know. that. And and I guess when they're first born, it's like, uh, that's the thing that you wish for. Is that you just wish that you could tell me what you want. Yeah. Are you hungry? Are you tired? Yep. And then they get old enough and start telling you, you know. And you're like, whoa, 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 calm down. You can't have everything you want. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you want this. I want Pokemon cards. Well, I got you some last week. Well, I want these ones now. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, that's not how this works. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, you know, it's it's funny. But I spent a lot of time, not in recent years, but early on, I was told that by my mentor that, if I wanted to be successful, I needed to learn how to public speak Mm -hmm. and I was afraid of it. So when I was in chiropractic school, I had an opportunity and I ended up, you know, you, you can teach while you're in school, they have uh, like clubs. So there is, they teach you say like five main adjusting techniques. And if Mm -hmm. you want to learn other techniques, you have to go to clubs after school that are taught. There's a faculty advisor, but you know, you're all adults, you know, so you are being observed, but kind of given free reign to do what you do. So I would learn, you know, by going uh, different techniques. And then you get far enough along, those people start graduating, somebody needs to step up. Mm -hmm. And so I was a vice president for one quarter. We didn't have semesters, we had quarters. And then I was the president for four quarters straight 
um, before I got into clinic and it was, you know, I, I passed the hat, you know, mm-hmm. but it was basically every week, anywhere from 30 to 50 people that were there to learn a technique, you know, that I had learned and I had to teach it perfectly. You mm-hmm. know? And so the only way that I could keep the butterflies away of feeling like crap was to know the material so well that I felt that confident. Mm-hmm. And even then it was just time and repetition. So I built that muscle there. And then when I got out in practice, that's how I built my practice. I literally went out and I've spoken in hundreds, hundreds of times, usually groups, no bigger than like 40 or 50, some mm-hmm. of them bigger. But, um, if I could speak to a, a mom, like a, a mom's group of like six mothers in a living room, I would show up and I'd give a health talk Yeah, and over and over and over. And at first it was, the talk was the talk, whatever I had memorized or planned on saying, I said it regardless of who was in front of me. I wasn't watching or gauging their reactions. And as time went by and you gave the same presentation over and over, you confidence or whatever it was, it became more of a conversation and more interactive yeah. and more like, okay, what's tailored. the audience? What's that? Tailored, customized. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then reacting to the audience in front of you, trying mm-hmm. things. And what you said about thinking, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next yeah. or thinking about, well, you know, they're kind of falling asleep. I better do something yeah, here yeah, yeah. or whatever and developing that ability. And I really do enjoy uh, public speaking. I've done a lot less of it. Um, I really haven't done any of the obviously COVID stuff in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But before that I had done like dinner workshops. Like I've sponsored dinner at like the OC when they were open in monkey junction, Italian place down there and have like, you know, 50 people come out and we do like Facebook ads and pull people in. And, mm-hmm. you know, some people were there for the free dinner, but a lot of people were there looking for a change mm-hmm. and, Business-wise, it was good. It was fun, um, you know, and I definitely, um, you can reach a lot more people, you know, at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and my question with some of that is it, you know, um, before COVID, I purchased a program to kind of help you develop more of a, a public speaking. Like I've always done it for free or for donations, make a donation to a charity and I'll come and do the continue education credits for nurses or CNAs and medical coders or whatever, anything that my license, you know, would be good for, for mm-hmm. other people. And, uh, you know, and it was good, but there's a part of me, I'd like to, you know, figure out a way to make that part of a, you know, like a, I don't know, a career direction. Yeah. In addition to, or maybe if someday, if my hands won't let me adjust people anymore, have that be something. And I was, uh, deciding, I was starting to look at ways to do it in local events here in Wilmington Mm -hmm. or go to Raleigh, go to pick a city I want to go to advertise, build a demand and then show up and do it or do stuff where it's one to very many, like using just online stuff and, yeah. you know, online courses and stuff. And I, li- I like the live audience. I like yeah. the interaction. It's kind of a rush. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, if you've done it, oh, man. you know. You- yeah. I, uh, well, that's something I've been thinking a lot about lately, and, and it goes into the, the marketing stuff. And, and I heard a guy, I'm sure you've, you've heard of this guy, uh, Gordon Ryan. Gordon what? Gordon Ryan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jiu-Jitsu yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. 
Man, he was saying that, like, it's tough to make money in that as a sport, but uh, it was on a recent podcast, and he said um, the thing where he sort of, like, his hack was he, he, instead of going and teaching a seminar to where it's, let's say, 1 to 40 or 1 to 15, yeah. you can make, like, three four thousand dollars in a weekend he'll go and spend an entire weekend filming and yeah. then put it online and yeah. it'll make like you know 500 or a million yeah. 500,000 to a million dollars and he's like think about the the everlasting like scalability of that and so yeah. i've been thinking about that more and more as it relates to marketing it's like super interesting concept to me because it's like less of that real hard grind touch you know it's where it, it can obviously continue to live on. It's not It's not just discreet to this weekend or whatever. Um, but, yeah, the, the, an interesting thing on the public speaking thing was it's like there's such levels to it. Um, like I can now do presentations and meetings, like 10 people, 20 people, whatever, and I, it's just, it doesn't just, even register just talk. It's just... Yeah. This is what I do is talk about what we do and, and how exceptional the approach that we take is and all that. Um, about two weeks ago, I got up in front of a room of about, and I, I've always said, this has been my hypothesis, that I'd rather speak in front of a room of like, let's say a thousand people that I don't know rather than like yeah, yeah. 30 people that I do know. Sure. All of them. And I put that to the test like two weeks ago and there was about 250 people. And now I have known most of those people like three to five years. Um, some, some of them like good, solid, like deep relationship and probably the majority know me and I know them, but not super uh, deep relationship. And, and I've done business with, let's say like 50% of their businesses. So these 250 people, like, you know, I got a little uh, nervous, sure. you know, yeah. on the on the stage. I mean, that was a, it's, a sh- it's a big room, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, so that that was, let's just say, some, like, uncharted territory. And I found my flow, and probably I, um, I could stand to, like, rehearse a little more. I, <clears throat> I was using some new material. And, and put it out there. So, I mean, there was some, some tactical, uh, I wouldn't say errors, but just like adjustments. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was different in front of 250 people. My, uh, <clears throat> my dogs, um, in, uh, my old house, uh-huh. are the recipients of many of my presentations. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. go out in the backyard and I'd have uh, speaking notes. I eventually got to the point where I realized PowerPoints were holding me back, and the um, it wasn't the type of talks I was doing. The, it wasn't necessary, mm-hmm. and it worked better if it was just me. Yeah, you know, because I wanted them focused on my message, not on a slide and whatever. So it really became a thing where it was a forty-five minute to hour long presentation that I basically got myself to memorize word for word mm-hmm. because it had to be done in a certain time frame, mm-hmm. you know, and, if, and, um, obviously as is evident by podcast we're doing today, I can talk and so can you, Yep. you know? So if I get off, if I'm, if I go, go off, if, if I'm not remembering exactly what it is I'm about to say, 
one sentence turns into six. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's a freaking two hour long thing that was supposed to be an hour or 45 minutes or whatever. And, um, so I would memorize it word for word, but it's funny. I had three dogs at the time and I'd just be standing out there <laughs> talking and eventually they'd wander over and just sit in front of me. Right. And so I would go out sometimes and, you know, like the night before, I would do the presentation all the way through twice in a row, three times in a row. Mm -hmm. Like if it was something I really needed to drive home and then I would do it again at lunch and I was giving it, you know, constantly, but I just remember sitting out there and having the dogs just like tilting their heads, just looking at me, Yeah, you know, who was he talking to? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's funny. I like that. That'd be cool to have as like a picture, a video in your, just in your autobiography. Giving giving the uh, yeah. presentation to a bunch of, you know, a couple of dogs. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That yeah, is, that is was, funny. But it was just, uh, but that's what got me to the point of, I guess, with that presentation, being able to um, look at people mm-hmm. and read the room. And, you know, I, I, yeah. for me, I needed that type of repetition. Yeah, you know, yeah. To, it's Go. interesting, like the stylistic things that you can play with, like uh, abandoning the PowerPoint deck, or like a lot of times I'll have, um, I will use one and I'll have slides, but it'll be mostly pictures and I'll just yeah, speak to everything. Right, yeah. Tell the story. Not or, a bunch of words. Yeah, yeah. And a, th- a thing lately is um, that I've been real focused on, although may not sound right, is, is like more economy of words. Mm-hmm. Like, how can I say it? Well, and then because I'm in a lot of different countries that don't speak English. So I have to think about simplifying the message, being direct, how it could be misinterpreted and like True. Yeah. not going on and on or being overly articulate because then, you know, the message can get lost. True. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. I like it. But it's another one of those things of just like tweaking, working yeah like what do you like sharpening the knife you yeah, know yeah. the tool is i like it all i think uh it's like one of those things learning and growing like you were saying the purpose of life um definitely and man the one thing i keep thinking back to is you were saying about chris with the uh what'd you call it big scary zombie big scary monster boogeyman. the boogeyman uh, the rearview mirror monster. yeah yeah i was thinking about too like uh, so much the boogeyman, I guess, is like kids, like the kids growing up without a dad. Sure, it's like yeah. my boogeyman. Oh I yeah, know, I just wanted to say that. Yeah, is uh, that's an easy one. You know, you think. I mean, uh, so many kids un- unfortunately probably have to grow up without a dad. But if you can affect that such that yours don't have to, and I think about, like he said, his mom crying at his funeral type thing, like yeah. Yeah, again, knock on wood, but uh, yeah, yeah, the kids having to just like be twenty and be sad, and and, oh man, it totally freaks me out. And then that is super motivation. Yeah, and you realize, uh, you know, like, you know, my dad worked a lot, did the best best he could, and all that kind of stuff. And you know, you, I'm around a lot more, you know. around my kids a lot more than he was when I was young. He was a cop, you know, he commuted, um, to Jersey city. We lived an hour and a half away from there. He didn't want us growing up in that environment. Financially speaking, it was, he was making enough to where he needed to, 
You know, mm-hmm. he had already advanced in rank. He would have to start over to be a cop in a different town. And, mm-hmm. you know, and he eventually retired at the highest rank. Uh, he was a deputy chief. You know, he did very well. And as we got older, you know, especially when I was teenagers, I mean, I don't think he ever missed a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. You know, like he had gotten himself to a point where he was able to manipulate his time, even though he was working two and sometimes uh, or one or two extra jobs on top of uh, being a cop, like, you know, teaching cops how to advance in rank. Um, and uh, he would do like security, you know, like for construction sites, he'd sit in a construction site overnight, make mm-hmm. sure nobody was stealing the copper and, you know, stuff like that. <clears throat> but, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I'm sure, you know, he would have preferred to be around for. And I, and I certainly would have preferred, Yeah. but uh, you know, that's, it's not what it was, but I can look now and know that I have seen my kids already way more than he saw me and my sister. And, uh, so you think that's been the biggest driver of, um, of your style, like, uh, the, the work schedule stuff. Yeah. yeah, Just wanting to want to be around them and realize that, uh, you know, I think for a good part of history, you know, it was people looked at like, um, well, I'd say good parts of recent history where it's like, you know, women raise the kids, men go off and, and work and make money. Uh-huh. Men have little impact on um, their kids growing up, right? And even the court system now recognizes that that's not true, that one parent is not more or less important than the other. Mm-hmm. You know, you do what you have to do family-wise and making family decisions, but all things being equal, what were men, do, what were boys do years past, you know, decades ago? A um, couple generations ago, you became a tailor because your father was a tailor. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, your last name was Taylor because everyone in your family was a tailor. Yeah. So you worked alongside of your father. Boys worked alongside of their fathers. Girls worked alongside of their mothers. Um, you know, and I think there is, and I have two boys. So I think there is a big uh, crisis in what masculinity is and how that is being taught Um, yeah i agree and i think maybe maybe it like i always go back to that quote that the the hard times make hard men yes hard men make easy times easy times make weak men weak men make hard times yep i guess that kind of man the way that all triages in like you think a lot about the macro like zoom out and how we got here and uh, as well as obviously the micro, but the the way that that all affects things and where we are in the cycle and, you know, make it, making the right uh, decisions and investments, obviously, as it relates to being a dad, but also we, like culturally, it's, it's, it's crazy. And some of it's like difficult to watch and, and like, you know, how do we not see where we're headed on some yeah. things, you know, not that I'm the most like current event focused, yeah. but some things I'm like, good lord! Like you would think, oh yeah, this is like obvious. This is not a novel concept. Like we need to get out of our own way here. I think 29 of the last uh, 30 school shootings mm-hmm. were committed by kids from fatherless homes. Really, and there is a huge impact. You know, boys uh, are disproportionately affected. 
uh-huh. from this, at least, you know. From I have heard that, yeah. Reading and listening and all this kind of stuff. Because we have, uh, you know, we're in a place where the work that a man does is usually not where, you know, you don't take your kids, you know, to work anymore. Where uh-huh. it used to be, you would have fathers, sons, grandfathers, uncles would interact together. You'd go hunting together because that's how you fed yourself. Mm-hmm. And you needed to learn because one day you're going to be a man, son, and this is how you get the deer. Yeah. And you started tracking them when you were seven, eight years old, and you were in male, like when it's a bunch of guys together, it's very different than if it's mixed company. Yeah. You know, like you talk differently, you act differently, you rag on each other, you know, you, someone messes up, you punch them, you know, like there's a, it's a very physical kind of thing. And I mean, I beat on my dad, you know, as a Uh kid, we wrestled, he would, you know, beat on me. Like it was, you know, like just roughhousing. Yeah. And, um, like, Women, mothers don't do that generally. Yeah. And you don't, even if they did, they don't get the same, the kids don't, boys don't get the same from that because, you know, I think, uh, I think, but men can only be taught to be men by other men. That's fair. Your mother can't teach you to be a man because she's not. She can Uh teach you to be respectful and say, you know, but as far as showing and walking the walk and all that kind of stuff, you know, it, it can't be done. You know, uh-huh. you boys need strong male role models. Right. And, you know, and I see what's going on and I see how, you know, like I when I was growing up, I was picked on a lot and stuff like that. And my dad was a, you know, still is, he's a masculine guy. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't have him in my ear saying, you know, somebody messes with you, you punch them in the face, stand up for yourself, You stand up for yourself. I don't care what happens at school. You can get detention, you can get suspended, you can get whatever. There's more important things in life and learning how to stand up for yourself is Mm -hmm. more important than, you know, getting in trouble or, you know, missing a dance or, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. And looking at, you know, I was, I was small. I was always very small. I mean, I'm not anymore, but, um, I was kind of a nerd. Uh, I had glasses. I've had hearing aids since I was five, you know, a bit of a bookworm, you know, like just a lot of, I was an easy target for a lot of kids. And had I been born to a different father that didn't advocate fighting of any kind, Mm -hmm. or if he wasn't there at all, and it was just my mother trying to raise me in a school filled with women and how do females solve female problems? Mm-hmm. by the way females do it. Right. You know, and boys handle things differently. And boys, when they go to school, they're predominantly taught by women, you know, and the way that we work now is boys are rarely alongside of their fathers. So mm-hmm. they don't learn. They're not learning. And this isn't just, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of regurgitating stuff I've learned and read about. But um, when we get to the age when boys are supposed to be scuffling and, you know, like my son neighborhood, you know, like kids push each other around, whatever. And I had to, you know, talk to him and explain Mm -hmm. to him, like, buddy, somebody takes your stuff. Like you take it back. If somebody pushes you, you push them back. If they hit you, you hit them back. If you see somebody doing something they shouldn't be, you know, you try other avenues first, but if you need to be physical, be physical. Mm -hmm. And I'd rather him work that out now at seven years old then, yeah. 
work it out when he's 25. Yeah. Because that's a, great point. A, a lifetime of suppressing our nature, you know? And the other thing is, you know, I think that, uh, if kids don't are, pro- the bullies are essentially protected nowadays. I mean, there's always, I mean, that's what kids do. It's, it's normal part of growing up. Everybody, yeah. everybody has made fun of somebody. Everybody has been made fun of. And something. I guess people too try to naturally establish a hierarchy. Right. So like the bully uh, theoretically is at the top of the mountain or whatever. And if you protect them, we can't even hit them in the face now. Yeah. He gets to keep doing what he's doing. So he becomes more of an asshole than he was because at some point, some of the kids that, you know, picked on me back in the day got their noses broken. Yeah. And okay, well, maybe I should be a little nicer or at least be nicer to Dave. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so they had natural consequences. If you allowed yourself to keep getting picked on, eventually, you know, you'd either figure it out or, you know, you would not, you know, you, you would have some outlet mm-hmm. now with social media, kids can't get away from the picking. Yeah. They can't fight in school. There's a lot of schools. It's like zero tolerance, instant expulsion, you know, that kind of stuff. And you take somebody and you suppress all of that, you know, normal male behaviors that you're supposed to go through as a kid and kind of work out by the time you're a teenager and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you take that away. These are the kids that, you know, snap and shoot people and, yeah. you know, fucking like, road rage craziness. Yeah. And it's because there's people talks about, you know, there's like the whole concept of like toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it, but it's, it has people believing that it's toxic to, be a man and have masculine behaviors. And I think that masculine behaviors are not, you know, flipping out and beating people and shooting them and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's not needing, it's being capable of if you have to, but not doing it unless it's necessary. Yeah. You know, Jordan Peterson said, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Some of his stuff, right. Yeah. You know, and uh, because was I think he said competent and dangerous. Yeah, or like and the better to be a warrior in the garden than a gardener yeah, at war. Yeah, you know? I mean that's ancient stuff right there. Yeah. You know, and uh, but I think that uh, that a, a lot of that drives you know, um, and I don't have daughters, so I don't can't speak to that. But um, but I think about that perspective, and I'm. Okay, and I and I'm fortunate where I do. I bring my kids to work with me fairly often. They get to see me work. They get to see me interact. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, I make them say, you know, my boys have said hello to you. Mm-hmm. You know, Mister A, Mister Miss So and So. You know, I have them say hello to everybody, so they're used to interacting with adults. And I've done that since they were, you know, crawling around in there. Yeah. And I'm lucky to have a job like that. My dad was a cop in a bad city. That couldn't happen. Sure. You know, so, but I I like having that impact. And, you know, your kids are, um, you know, everyone says, you know, you'll never regret more time spent with your kids. I've had people tell me, you know, and I have a job where I can be flexible like this. So it is a choice. My dad wasn't a choice. You know, he was a cop, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, but. You know, I have a choice and, you know, everyone I've ever talked to said they would, you know, you can always make more money. 
You can always, and someday when your kids are 15 and don't want to look at you, then go work more. Yeah. You know, if you want to work more, work more when they don't want to see you, you know, right. and when they're 25 and they want to start seeing you again, maybe you're retired, you know, or you're hopefully, yeah, hopefully right. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but it was, you know, and I've had people, one main mentor and other people kind of whisper in my ear about this stuff for a long time and, you know, not perfect with it, just trying to figure it out. And yeah. But I think that's the point. Yeah. Figure yeah. it out. Keep getting better. Keep making tweaks. Reassess what uh, the impact of those tweaks has been and and just try to keep getting better. I, that's that's my big uh, Kaizen. initiative. Yeah. Continuous improvement. That's it. Yeah. I learned yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. That's funny. Well, I think that's a good way to wrap it up. I man. like it. Yeah. All yep. right. Well, thank you very much, Dave. I appreciate it, man. Right. Yep. Hey, you want to uh, shout out the practice? Uh, yeah, promote sure. the practice. Sure. Yeah, or you want to or not? No, all right, sure. <laughs> you know, do it. Do it. All right. Uh, the fixed chiropractic uh, in Wilmington. That's where I practice now. Uh, it is a walk-in practice. Been in practice now for almost fifteen years, and uh, we're one of the few walk-in practices. Try to keep things affordable, simple, easy. No contracts or you know hard selling or anything like that. Um, I give recommendations and allow people to decide what they want to do for their for their own health. So if you're local, come on by. If you're not, you can always reach out to me and I can try and find you uh, somebody uh, where you are that can give you care if you're looking for that kind of thing. Excellent. Very cool. Thank you, man. Thank you.